Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. Find us on Twitter at political underscore beats. We're also over on Facebook. We ask you to subscribe to our feed to get those new episodes through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or right at nationalreview.com. Listen and leave reviews where possible to help others find the show and direct you to patreon.com slash political beats, where you can support us and help the show stay ad-free as it is right now. We have entry level for support and voting privileges and occasionally a special episode like our five-year anniversary episode released last week, mid-level for early access to shows and at a higher audio quality, and then our upper-level bestest friends who get the early access, the higher audio quality, the monthly exclusive content episodes, remastered old episodes, playlists, and more. That's all at patreon.com slash politicalbeats. My name is Scott Bertram. You can find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. My tag team partner, standing by as always, is Jeff Blair. Jeff, you do know why you're here, right? Yes. There's great confusion on Earth, Scott, and the power that is has concluded the following. The perfect podcast was already recorded already, and its voice was heard. The voice of imperfect podcasters must now be made manifest, and we have been selected as the most likely candidates. More deep thoughts on Twitter at Esoteric CD for Jeff. Our guest on today's program is the books editor over at Reason, where he writes. His first book is Rebels on the Air, an alternative history of radio in America, in which Willie Nelson plays a part or two. His second book, The United States of Paranoia, a conspiracy theory. You find him on Twitter at not Jesse Walker, though he is, in fact, Jesse Walker. Jesse, thanks so much for joining us. I'm glad to be here. Uh, we allow our guests the opportunity to introduce themselves a little bit. Tell us uh, how you uh, got involved over at Reason. Tell us a bit about your books, too. What's your story? Well, I have been at Reason for decades now. I, I, I seem to, I'm kind of a lifer over there. Um, I sold my um, first freelance to them in 94, and I've been working there since 1999. And if you ask me how exactly I got drew into it, I'm going to have to ex excavate <laughs> some part of my memory that's uh, that's long buried under an avalanche of Willie Nelson albums or something. Um, I literally started reading Reason in my freshman year of college which was 1999, and you were there. You were there for the Jesse Walker era. Yeah, the beginning um, of it all, right. Yeah. right. Um, and I have, um, uh, geez, I've already forgot. Oh, yes, my books. Um, so Rebels on the Air is my history of American radio. And, and as you said, Willie Nelson has a few cameos in there. I, I unfortunately did not speak with him um, for it, um, although he was a DJ. Uh, at yes. the very beginning of his career, I, I should have. Willie and I, Willie and I have a lot in common, and among that, yeah. it, well, yeah. one of those things is being a DJ. And um, he uh, and, and I, I did, have, did, however, speak with some people who have met Willie Nelson, so he, I get some a couple stories about him in there. And then uh, the second book is The United States of Paranoia. It's a history of American conspiracy theories. Willie Nelson is not in there, although given that about 15 years ago he was paddling around with Alex Jones and Jesse Ventura, and you can find videos on YouTube of them hanging out on the Willie bus. Uh, maybe he could have been in there if I had been uh, creative enough to uh, squeeze him in at the right place. Jesse joins us today for what's... Uh, this is one of the more, I'd say, unpredictable episodes that we'll see how it unfolds. We have some 
different thoughts about how we're going to handle our first, uh, not toe dip, but we've done country rock, we've done alt country, we've done old 97s and Ryan Adams and Robbie Folks and Graham Parsons. Graham Parsons, yeah. Yeah, and Flying Burrito Brothers, but this is the first full-fledged belly flop into the world of country music, and we do it by focusing on one of the absolute all-time greats in Willie Nelson. Jesse, we turn the floor back over to you to begin our conversation here. Tell us uh, why you love Willie Nelson, how you found out about his music, and why people should care about what Willie Nelson's done for now 60 years or so. Yeah, he's, I, I mean, longer. He's been, uh, his first single came out in 1956. So he's been a recording artist since the Eisenhower years. And he started playing with bands at local beer joints when he was just a little kid in Abbott, Texas. Um, so he's been a performing artist since the Roosevelt years. So this is a long, long career. It's <laughs> not one where he takes a lot of breaks either. Um, I originally found out about him, and I think it's kind of a cliche for people my age to say this because my parents were fans. Um, you know, they had Willie Nelson um, records. I would hear him a lot growing up. I have memories of stopping in the local record store and, you know, my mom going through the Willie section and picking out them one by one and choosing what she wanted. Um, I grew up in um, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, which for those of you who don't know it, is a uh, liberal college town in the South. And I, I think it's kind of summed up by the that the listening experience is summed up by the fact that my parents alternated between commercial country radio and NPR. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, it's, I had a little bit of, I mean, on the one hand, um, I, I've heard these, I'd heard these songs since the very beginning. I, I grew up surrounded by this music, you know, and, and, and other, you know, my dad had you know, Bob Wills, Doc Watson, uh, other folks like that. So it's been part of what I've been listening to my whole life. Um, at the same time, you know, I could be a little bit of a snot-nosed kid when I started listening <laughs> to pop music, and this was what my parents like. And, you know, Willie Nelson's voice, it's its great, but it's its an acquired taste. And I can remember as a kid just sort of turning up my nose when I heard him singing Somewhere Over the Rainbow. I was like, ah, he's not even singing on the beat. What's going on? Of course, now I can appreciate that a bit more. I guess I never told. I'm so happy that you're mine Little things I should have said and done I just never took the time But you were always on my mind You were always And of course, country radio, um, you can hear, some, I mean, even at, at, you know, whatever age I was at, I, I understood that you know, some, some of the songs I was hearing were really good songs, but there was also some absolute schlock um, from people trying to cross over into adult contemporary and, and that sort of thing. So I was, I had a little bit of an attitude about him. I was listening to rock, you know, a punk rock kid. And, and, you know, gradually though, I, I kept um, exploring the records in my parents' collection. Um, and, I sort of discovered just how good so much of this was, and in particular, um, Willie Nelson. And being, you know, a rock teenager is 
stuff he did in the 70s where they're kind of jamming out, sounding a little psychedelic on some of the live <laughs> recordings, um, you know, was what first caught my ear. But then that allowed me to sort of step further in um, and, and really uh, get to know it. And then by the time I was at college um, and I was at the uh, campus radio station, uh, I, in addition to just a usual freeform show where I played every kind of music, I became one of the rotating hosts of uh, the Down Home Show, which is country music, WCBN FM. They're still out there. You can hear, listen to them online. Um, and uh, of course, they had this enormous, great music library where you could just pick up stuff that you never would have encountered, you know, otherwise. Or what, even if you're willing to spend, you know, did all three of, of us, did all three of us just brutally plunder our college's record stations for stuff? Because it seems like all three of us. Have done this. <laughs> I never plundered it. Let's be clear. I never, I never <laughs> took anything home. Yeah, I right. taped a lot of stuff. Right, um, but you got yeah. so much out of it. Yes, exactly. It, it's a uh, yeah, and I and I can remember being steered toward things that I would not even have just experimentally put on the on the turntable because the cover looks like oh this is going to be awful. And then I remember um, I think it was Jim Mannheim, one of the other uh, uh, down home show DJs, uh, showing me the uh, Willie album Angel Eyes, and I'm like you know the cover looks terrible. It's from the <laughs> the 80s, which is kind of like the um, the nadir and from my point of view of, of his output and he's like no no like he does this experimental jazz stuff you have to check it out try to think that love's not around but it's uncomfortably near My poor heart ain't gaining no ground Cause my angel eyes is not here Angel eyes that old devil sent They glow unbearably bright So, you know, I, I, uh, I guess I, I, it was a mixture of osmosis and exploration. Um, but eventually I, you know, and I, I, oh, I, I should tell my story about seeing him live before we go deeper into this. Um, yeah. I've seen him live twice. Um, the first time was, you know, he has the more or less annual 4th of July picnic in the Texas Hill Country. And in how oh, 97 or 98, um, I, my um, family moved to Texas um, in the late 80s, um, although I was heading off to college then. And so I went to visit um, my brother and um, just, you know, in the summer and we went over and saw it. And, you know, he had a regular set. I mean, he has all sorts of artists playing and he would sometimes come out and, and play like a song or two with one or another of them. Like, the super suckers were doing their cow punk thing and Willie Nelson came out. Yeah. Uh, Larry Gatlin was playing, you know, uh, commercial uh, uh, AM hits of the seventies and eighties. And Willie Nelson came out and he did two full sets himself. One 
doing the hits and one with what he called the Willie Nelson Blues Band, which as far as I could tell, maybe I'm wrong, was just the same musicians as otherwise, but this way he could just play his favorite blues songs. But the other time I saw him, and I, it was in 2002, I looked up the date online before we did this, and I realized it was my last weekend in Los Angeles before I moved to Baltimore, uh, where I live now. And uh, he was. I saw in the paper that he and Ray Charles were going to do a show together. And this is not a story about me and going to see him and Ray Charles. I'm sure that would have been great, but it, the tickets were like $80 and I could not afford that. Um, but I also saw that he was going to be um, going to the local Borders bookshop in uh, Westwood and sign. He had some new book coming out then. I don't remember which one. Um, and, you know, he'd play a little bit and, and sign copies. And I had been, I'd seen people I'd seen specifically, I'd seen John Doe from the great punk band X. X, yeah. Yeah, uh, play there. And it was a simple thing. I was one of like five people in the audience. He got up with an acoustic guitar, played for about 15 minutes. Um, I figured, all right, so he'll play about, Willie will play about 15 minutes worth of songs. If I'm, there will be more than five people, but if I'm lucky, it'll be, you know, a pretty intimate, you know, experience, you know, this great musician and, and uh, then he'll sign books. So I get there. Well, first of all, the place is packed. You know, I, I, every Willie Nelson fan has noticed the same thing in the newspapers. I I, I knew that. Free versus happen. 80 bucks. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 80 bucks free. And this is the free. So um, and I'm sure a lot of them were going to see the big show, too. Then he got up there with his full band and he played for an hour. I have paid good money uh, to see bands do shorter concerts than that. And they gave it the, oh, they played like, I mean, you can't pack all of the Willie Nelson hits into one hour, especially if you include all the stuff he wrote for other artists. But they, he, you know, Whiskey River, all the stuff you expect him to play. It was not sort of a diffident, tossed off thing. Um, it was a free one hour full band Willie Nelson show in this um, bookstore in Los Angeles. Whiskey River, take my And I, uh, it just sort of drove home how much he loves doing this, Mm. you know? I mean, he has, um, I, and I can tell other stories that I've heard secondhand of him doing, you know, long, long uh, concerts, sometimes for free. But he was someone who he loves being on the road. He loves, you know, playing his music um, and he loves interacting with the fans. And it's uh, and the fact that he was willing on the same day that he's going to have what I assume is going to be a huge payday for this, you know, 80 bucks a head thing with Ray Charles. Um He's, I mean, he had to pay the musicians. Maybe he sold enough books that day to make up for it, but I think they were just doing it for the love of it. And, you know, I think in his best records, that comes through too. Yeah. By the way, I got to say, I, I got to think that tops your Ryan Adams in-store story. Right, right, right. There, Scott? Is um, that, is that yes. better than... <laughs> it's better than a drunken, hungover Ryan Adams following me up the escalator and playing a really good short short set at Virgin Megastore in Chicago. Yes, that's a, that's a much better story. 
Um, my my you know my Willie Nelson story is is pretty short. Um, and, and by the way, we should mention. I mean, you know this if you clicked on it, but this is part one of two. So we're, Willie Nelson's been around mm, quite a while, and by one count, what was it, one hundred and forty six potential albums to talk about. We're and not there's gonna, been more since then, right? And we're not going to get to all of them. We'll, we'll be upfront about that, but we uh, we will get to uh, many of them and, and the important ones. And we're splitting this into two parts. So this is part one of part two on Willie Nelson. And I'll, I begin by just reiterating something I've said when we've covered our our sort of alt country country rock artists, and that is, I feel like uh, much of my life now and uh, and recently is is making up for all the lost time when I was young and, and completely dismissed out of hand country music. Um, you know, it was the late eighties and, and early nineties and the modern, the more modern country music that was being played, uh, was not the sorts that was played 20 years previous was not the sorts that was being played by Willie Nelson. And I was repelled by it. And, uh, you know, Jeff and I both around that age were classic rock, uh, snobs and digging back into, Beatles and Rolling Stones and the Who and all these old discographies and country didn't mean a thing to me. My my idea of country rock back in like 1987 was 38 specials. Sure. Like, you know, what if, if I was the one? Right. <laughs> if they had three guitars, like 38 <laughs> special, that was country, right? Leonard Skinner is kind of country rock. Uh, Molly Hatchet. Uh, and, uh, you know, there, there, there were a couple entry points and we've talked about it on previous episodes of how doors began to open for me and, and Robbie Folks is one and Graham Parsons and Flying Burrito Brothers is another and Sweetheart of the Rodeo is a giant one. And slowly but surely, you begin to realize all these things that were happening uh, while you weren't paying attention years ago and how, how good they were. And even at that point, for me, Willie Nelson really was more of an idea than an artist. Right? Willie had been doing it for so long by that point, and Willie was part of Farm Aid, and Willie loved marijuana, and Willie would release you know, two albums a year, and Willie was wanted by the IRS, and he didn't pay his back taxes, and he wrote an, had an album out specifically to pay the IRS from the back taxes that he owed, um, and he was busted in his, you know, his tour bus for, for smoking pot, and, and you said he's, right? he was just, he was an idea more than he was the music. Like, yeah, yeah. For me, Willie Nelson was like, oh, he fell asleep in his car and was like, you know, found by the police yeah. like on the side of the road. That's the Willie Nelson right. story that I heard as a kid. And really, not until pretty recently did I begin to, to dig back into his older music and not until certainly gearing up for this episode that I try to listen to essentially everything he was uh, releasing during this period of time. And look, it's a it's an understatement to say you'll love this music. Willie Nelson is, um, in some ways, an acquired taste, and and, and um, um, you know Jesse's already alluded to some of those some of those reasons. But he's written a ton of songs that you know and love. He's performed a ton of songs you know and love, and some of his best work is not even some of the work that you might think of first off when you think of Willie Nelson. And that's part of the era we'll get to today, uh, through through the seventies. It is a fascinating story of a guy who just has never stopped being Willie Nelson. He's never stopped making music. He has never stopped touring. He's never stopped playing. He's 89 years old. He is still doing it. And going back to this early uh, era and seeing his influences and how they come to the forefront and how he incorporates them into his music and finds his voice, this is all fascinating stuff that leads to some top-notch records that I can't wait to talk about today. I can see us sitting round the table When from the family Bible Dad 
dream And I can hear my mother softly singing Rock of Ages, Rock of Ages left for me you know, I might also point out that you, you're talking about Willie Nelson and his influence. One thing you didn't mention is how many Willie Nelson songs have been made into smash hits by other artists. Al Green, one of the famous greatest moments of Al Green's entire career, is taking a Willie Nelson song and both repurposing it and also keeping completely faithful and true to its original intent. Uh, his songs are infinitely adaptable. I remember, yeah, that's the same. That you told me It was only yesterday And it flies away Our time just slips away And sometimes I have to say mm-hmm. I gotta go now but, you know, the question about how, how did I find Willie Nelson, that's very similar to, to Scott's, I'd say, in the sense the country didn't have any impression upon me. I grew up in the D.C. suburbs, which might as well have been New York City for all you know that meant to me. It was northeastern, and you know, I was an, a wasp, I was an Episcopalian kind of guy. So, we, as I said, 38 Special was as close as I came to having any understanding of country <laughs> music as a child. And then even when later on and I went into my, you know, sort of music nerd, music snob, classic rock phase in the 90s, starting with the Beatles, as one does. But where did I start? I started with the Beatles. And, of course, where you start, obviously, it was going to play a lot uh, of a role in dictating where you end up. So I started with the, the British Invasion, the classic rock stuff. And all throughout that period, it was almost like country didn't even exist to me it was the birds yes south's old cliche right i mean but we talked about it on both our birds episode and our grand parsons episode it was the birds that actually really introduced me to true country rock because when everybody said like oh yeah sweetheart of the rodeo that's country rock and i got it i I was like well this is way more country than i expected it was way more country than i was actually even ready to handle in 1997 or six or whatever it was when i got it um it was a style and an approach that had really actually almost been set apart and been so alien to the music that I was otherwise listening to, which is all about you know, heavy amplified rock chords, stuff like that. And then, of course, I realized later as I got older that, no, actually, all the country was in there, hidden there in the first place. But you, with your dumb child ears, Jeff, you weren't able to hear it yet. Did I can I, did you realize when you were into the Beatles that Act Naturally was a cover of a country song? Yes, I knew it was by Buck Owens, and, and actually it's funny because I would I would normally want to say that that's the song I would have hated, but my brother and I always just loved the heck out of Act Naturally because you know Ringo sings it with such charm. But that I understood was country, but that almost kind of cemented what it meant to me because it felt like a novelty <laughs> tune, right? Mm-hmm. Right, it's the joke song on Help. Right, uh, they're gonna put me in the movies. I'm gonna all I have to do is act naturally, like the hangdog schlub that I am. Aha, it's a funny song, but it's not serious. Like I don't know, in my life or Ticket to Ride. And it, this is the way I thought about these things as a child. Of course, I've long since left that behind. And uh, you know, I would say first of all that one of the reasons that I have is that I've just aged, the maturity, rearranging your priorities, becoming an adult frankly, and having to make adult decisions in life, relationships, 
families, things like that will focus your attention on the sorts of themes that are just so much more common in country music and in Willie Nelson's songs than would have ever been relevant to, you know, 16-year-old me. It, right? it, it is amazing how when you're looking for those songs of heartache and breakups that all of a sudden country music starts to look a little more realistic. Hello, walls. How'd things go for you today? Don't you miss her? Since she up and walked away And I'll bet you dread to spend Another lonely night with me But lonely walls I'll keep you company Hello, Wendy it, way more realistic, right? And then, you know, and of course, this is the constant tension that I think we'll be discussing throughout all of these shows is that. And, and, and it brings me kind of one of these first – I was warning both Jesse and Scott before we started. It's like, I'm going to make these really kind of gormless theoretical points, you know, because I, I have big issues. And I think one of the reasons is because I'm actually – I think this is a very important episode for us. As, as Scott said, we've never done country music head-on before. But there are all sorts of issues that you have to sort of tackle and address first – you talk about country music as a genre, as a you know the way albums and singles are constructed, the way an art- artist's biography, the way that they handle themselves within the industry, the way they play, um, it's just different. It's so radically different from the what eventually evolved into what we consider the rock and roll lifestyle, that aesthetic, uh, that it almost feels like parallel tracks that never white got into parallel with one another they sometimes run along similar lines but these are two different tracks the second big point i would ask and this is actually one that scott fired off at me at the beginning of the day here before we we started the show is why is country music why are great country music albums still sort of psychologically cabined off from the rest of what we think of as you know american pop rock music why do we call an album like redheaded stranger phases and stages yesterday's one i'll be making a big pitch for that one and of course the stuff that will happen on part two of this episode why do we just always sort of reflexively think of them as oh that's a great country album why don't we just think that that's one of the greatest albums purely but he could not forgive her though he tried and tried to try The halls of his memory still echo her lies. He cried like a baby, and he screamed like a panther in the middle of the night. And he saddled his pony. He went for a ride. It was the time of the preacher in the year of one. Now the lesson is over and the killing's begun. And I don't know why that is. 
this. I think there are two arguments that I'd mount. One of them is so semi-innocuous. One of them has a slightly more sinister cultural valence. The, the innocuous one has to do with the structure of the industry itself, based around singles, sort of the ephemera. You know, it's, it's, it's a song for a day, a month, a year. It, it's not an album art statement. Always hustling, always on the road, always recording, always putting stuff out always got to remain there, remain relevant, remain hot. It doesn't allow the sort of, sort of contemplation that Willie Nelson, in fact, this is what he defined Willie Nelson as a country artist, is that he rebelled against that and started saying, no, I'm going to do like very conceptually organized albums. Mm-hmm. For better or worse, I actually have statements that I want to make that are album-long statements, right? That's one reason I think perhaps we think of his country music as set aside from like pop rock concept albums, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts, Blub Band and all that. And then of course there's another reason, and this is the one I meant when what I meant when I said it's maybe vaguely sinister, or at least it's a very culturally inflected thing, which is of course the fact that this is the music of the masses and not the elites. This is not coastal music. Confession. I mean, you know, even Jesse said, like, yeah, I grew up in Chapel Hill, which is probably not actually too terribly far removed from what it felt like to grow up in Potomac, Maryland. You know, a similar idea. Um, but this was not the music that was popular with the elites. There were many, actually, who actually did evangelize for it and, and argued for its you know, validity, relevance, and, and sought really to integrate it fully into the mainstream of modern American music. But the integration, the fusion never quite happened. And it has always, country music has always remained, whether as something that's dearly beloved and held close, or even as the subject of what we call like, you know, like stand up, lame stand up comedian punchlines, you know, jokes about like, oh, yeah, you play a country music song backwards, you get your dog back, you get your house back, you get your wife back. <laughs> you know, those sorts of jokes and cliches and tropes sort of characterize the way sort of our mass culture thinks about country music. The reason I, I object to this is that Willie Nelson's great virtue is that I think of him as one of the most literary songwriters in the entire American corpus. And when I say that he is a literary songwriter, I don't mean it in the sense that you know he's either very literal on the nose or even in the sense that he's writing poetry, posy. He, he's not Bob Dylan or Byron. You know, He's not writing own on Grecian urn here. But I think of Willie Nelson's his observational acumen as a writer and as a thinker, to be honest, as having much more in common with, say, Hemingway or Raymond Carver, okay, than I do with, you know, whatever, you know, crap top 40 schlock is playing in Nashville these days. You know, what was, what's the short story collection of Carver's? What do we talk, what we talk about when we talk about love? Willie Nelson's entire career is what we talk about <laughs> when we talk about love. So much lately that I made out a list of things to remember, things to forget, but my mind can't separate joy from regret. I always remember the things to forget, things to remember the day that we met, the day that we parted. Things to forget Well, why won't my heart Let me do it this way With just things to remember today 
and it is observed with a similarly laconic style. A laconic style that has become sort of – it becomes a cliché. It becomes the country aesthetic. He didn't originate it, and I'll argue that is his real – you know, I, I know exactly who he was. He was pattering himself after, which is basically the same guy that almost everyone else in country would pattern themselves after after a certain point. Um, but that style of observing tough, brutal realities with a certain kind of uh, a writerly resignation, but with the depth of feeling all there, hidden underneath the surface. That is a uniquely literary approach. It's an approach that you can have in country music that you never got in rock. And I guess it's, it's just one more reason why you know, country music is, is constantly characterized as music for adults sometimes rather than children. Because maybe you have to have lived life and have to have a little bit more sophistication, suffered a little bit more pain, um, gone through more adventures and more stages in your life before you can appreciate the kinds of things that Willie Nelson isn't just we're not talking about, but talking about with such beautiful restraint, thoughtfulness, and just you know careful and blunt and sometimes almost disturbingly like well uh, you know pointed out observational qualities. Look around you. Look down the bar from you. At the faces that you see Are you sure This is where you want to be These are your friends But are they real friends Do they love you As much as me Are you sure this is where you want to be You seem in such a hurry To lead this kind of life And you've caused so many pain and misery But look around you Take a good look Just between you and me Are you sure that this is where you want to be? Please don't let Nelson is, there are many great country artists. He's not the only country artist on the planet who's like this. And in fact, all the alt-country guys, they all pattern themselves after sort of the uh, the template that he helped to establish but he is one of the first and that's why i guess this is as great a place to start our first ever political beats full-on encounter with country music this is the guy you begin with in a lot of ways i'd say what i should throw in before we go to, yeah. into the deep end um that although he may be your first um proper full-fledged country artist um but he's never been limited to country. That's that's all I mean, work in there. You know, that's it's like, point. It, I mean, he's. Um, I once called him in something I wrote a Lone Star Sponge. You know, like like mm -hmm. no one else except maybe Doug Som. You know, yeah. any kind of music. Doug Som's a great comparison. Yeah, yeah. Who, any kind of music that came through Texas. You know, he loved and absorbed it into his style. And of course, when I say came to Texas, um, he had a radio. You know, he, when he was a little kid, he was out there literally picking cotton um, and hearing people sing, you know, black work songs as they did it. But also was listening to Frank Sinatra on the radio at night. Yeah. And 
getting a little very influenced in how he's singing. And listening to jazz. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm saying Sinatra is sort of like a pathway into jazz. I mean, that's the singing. But the great influence, I mean, the biggest influence on his guitar playing is Django Reinhardt, the amazing, you know, gypsy swing um, guitar player. Um, And so his music, it crosses over into, most obviously, into jazz. He's done like a whole bunch of what are basically jazz albums and, um, and rock starting in the 70s and blues and gospel. He's done a lot of gospel albums um, and he's experimented. I mean, like you said, some of his less uh, successful experiments like the reggae album, but I mean, <laughs> that still shows, goes to part show two. that. We're going to do yeah. a full hour of part two to the reggae. <laughs> but you know what? It shows that he can appreciate this. He even did a, a record with Snoop Dogg once, which is obviously a gimmick because they both like weed, but you know, also he, he enjoys Snoop Dogg, what Snoop Dogg does enough that he can sit down and, and record something with him. Um, so, you know, he really is. And His I Catholic said, interests, truly yeah. a generalist. He'll take anything. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I said a Lone Star Sponge, but really it's not just all Texas music. It's all American music. Oh, it's a long, long From May to December But the days grow short Reach September when the autumn weather turn leaves to flame. One hasn't got time for the waiting. Um, and, and and even stacking a little bit to Jamaica and and, uh, and uh, France, you know, as far as uh, the reggae folks and, and Django. Django, so, yeah, yeah. So it's a uh, he's really. Um, and I've I've never. That's why been... I think he's great for our audience. Yeah, was like oh, this is this is the, the the pure country artist who maybe you rockists can relate to. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's and it you know it's very I mean I've not, I'm not someone who sets aside the country albums. I, I did um I used to do freelance reviews for the All Music Guide and and we they asked me to do like a list of favorite albums and I realized afterwards like three of them were from 1973 which I had never thought of as a <laughs> um a, a killer music year but maybe there's something there. And well, like, that, when, that, that's that's the year that the two greatest albums ever made came out you know in my opinion selling england by the pound and quadrophenia are my two favorite albums both 1973 well that's right so we can we've got a top five list because i had (laughs) willie nelson shotgun willie sly and the family stones fresh and john kale's paris 1919 um all great too like three incredibly different genres of music but all very distinct you know full full full-on albums um and and the seven the thing about the 70s is in the in the 60s, you start having albums as statements from rock artists, but both with country and with rhythm and blues. Um, that doesn't really start happening until the 70s. Um, I mean, and- it was Motown. I mean, we've had this discussion already talking about the big fights that Marvin Gaye and Stevie Wonder had with Motown. Yeah. When they wanted to make albums and Motown was still like, no, you know, stick to the formula, singles and, and filler. So, yes, this is a big thing happening across genres at the time. And all of these people were listening to each other. That's the important thing, too. Um, you know, we are, well, I mean, Willie Nelson does his first Beatles cover in the mid-60s. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, the rhythm and blues, the soul um, and blues, but especially soul um, 
uh, singers were listening to country and the country singers were listening to soul music or the really good ones were because they knew, you know, you listen to a bunch of Charlie Rich albums and Ray Charles album from the same era. And you think whatever genre these guys are doing, it's the same genre. <laughs> um, maybe one of them you classify as rhythm and blues and one of them as country. But, you know, they're mixing in so much um, from each other's genres that they basically become you know, this sort of one thing in between. Um, and then, and, and that's where you get shotgun Willie, you know, like, yeah. you know, the pedal track of that is perfect. Perfect example. Yeah. But we're not there yet. So I guess we should Soon. start at the beginning. We should. We've been talking. Yeah. For... So you want to set it up, Scott, give us yeah. the, 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 who is this man? Who is William Nelson? We've been talking for half an hour and time to get to the music. Uh, and, and to set that up a little, you know, before the music, although music essentially was part of Willie Nelson's life, his whole life. He's a Texas guy. That's important uh, as we go through his career, born in Texas and always made his way back to Texas. Um, his parents left, his, his mom left, his dad remarried and left. And so he was raised by his grandparents along, by his, uh, along with his sister. And they we were teaching him music at a very young age. There's a, there's a gospel album that we'll talk about where it seems a little out of sorts, but not if you know how he was raised. You know. By the way, I th think it's important to say he was born in an unfashionable part of Texas. Abbott, which Texas. Hill country, right? Yep, you know, yep. it's, it's not like Dallas or Houston. You know, it's not the capital. It's just sort of the big, wide expanse. <laughs> it's just right there in the middle of the yeah. state and around that area where it's just people. It's not. It's it's it's, it's <laughs> and not and not that many people. Yeah. Uh, he got a he got a guitar when he was six. He started writing songs when he was literally seven years old. He was playing in local bands by the time he was nine, and then honky tonks and gin joints and taverns by the age of thirteen. You guys have both already mentioned so many of his early. Um, influences and they're they're clear uh, Hank Williams and Bob Wills and Lefty Frizzell did an entire tribute album for him later on Ernest Tubb played with his band later on an album I mean these are the people who shaped him but also those from outside the world of country like Sinatra uh, like Django uh, right. Like, right like Django like he, uh, even uh, Armstrong too so he um, he was an athlete in in high school. He played baseball, basketball, football. He still plays. Well, I, love, I love the other. I love the idea of like Willie Nelson, three sport varsity. Yeah, he's a letterman, right? <laughs> uh, played in a band called the Texans uh, while he was in high school, and uh, was in the Air Force for a short time. Medically discharged. He had back issues, and so was discharged from the army. And then his life started. He was married very young, the age of what twenty one. And then began to figure out what he was going to do with his life. Started as a DJ, as Jesse mentioned earlier, at what a great name for a station, K-Bop, K-B-O-P, <laughs> in uh, Pleasanton, Texas. And uh, while he was a DJ there, used the equipment at the studio to make his first recordings. A song called The Storm Has Just Begun and one called When I've Sung My Last Hillbilly Song. Uh, all those demos were rejected. He began bouncing around from radio station to radio station. Went up to the Pacific Northwest for a little while. Vancouver, Vancouver. Vancouver, Washington, which, by the way, has nothing to do with Vancouver, British Columbia. I don't know why Washington decided to have a city <laughs> that is nowhere near Vancouver, British Columbia. But, yeah, all the way up near Portland area. And that was actually kind of, I believe, where it starts for him. Your love is as cold as north wind blows And the river that runs to the sea how can I go on when your only love is gone? 
I can see this is no place for me The light in your eyes is still shining It shines, but it don't shine for me It's a story so old, another love grown cold I can see this is no place for me yeah, he made it. He made his first actual record up there called "No Place for Me," uh, which didn't do any business. So he kept working as a radio announcer, kept singing in clubs, moved across the uh, country a little bit to uh, Missouri, and then back to Texas. Eventually, all roads lead back to Texas for Willie Nelson. And when he got back there, what did he do? Well, he's still writing, but he sold Bibles, he sold vacuum cleaners. He was a sales manager for Encyclopedia Americana. Imagine Willie coming to your door and asking if you'd like to buy at least the, you know, the A uh, edition of the Encyclopedia Americana. Uh, they, they make their way to Houston, Texas, and this is where I, I think we'd say that the, the career really gets going because he starts selling his songs along the way. And, you know, many of these songs that are sold, guys, he will redo a, at a later time, and it's fun, funny, somewhat funny, to see the liner notes on these records because you know Willie Nelson wrote these songs and yet who gets the credit on the songs? Not Willie Nelson because he sold them. Yeah. He sold the rights away for 10 bucks, for 50 bucks, for 100 bucks sometimes. And kind these... of what I mean when we talk about how there's an entire culture in country music that's just gone now that, yeah. that makes no sense, right? To to admit you to, to a modern music listener or even you know a fanatic where, where yeah he would go literally into dance halls where they have like a band that plays every week. It's like I'll give you this song, I'll sell you the rights to this song, you can play it every night because you, you played it once and everyone liked it, and everyone danced, and there weren't too many fights. Yeah. Then then yeah, that's a hit, and that's how you made a living back then. It's 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 so unrelated to what we think of the music <laughs> industry in the present day. You guys know the story about um, his song "Family Bible," which is um, one of his yeah, best. Yeah, and, and, and one of his. Early, I mean, like in the fifties, even crazy, he was yeah. already writing "Family Bible," "Nightlife," "The Party's Over." But um, "Family Bible" is one of those things where they have um, three people's names listed, and they're not him. Right. And and it became um, a hit. Like the first, I think it was the first, certainly one of the very one of the earliest uh, songs he wrote to be a hit for another artist. And someone asked him later. Um, how he felt about not having the, the liner note credit and the, the writer's credit. And, and he said, well, I figured if I wrote one hit song, I could write another. There's a family Bible on the table. It's pages worn to read But the family Bible on the table will ever be my key to memories At the end <laughs> That's the confidence in yourself that will carry a man like Willie Nelson along through like what, 60 years of peripatetic wandering which is kind of how it started for him, right? So as Scott points out, he 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 goes out and he records these first few singles. I I like them, and they're actually quite fun. And one of the things I want to point out about Willie Nelson is that this is something I only came to realize later on, is that people say like, well, you know, when he was younger, you know, he didn't have his full, the, the greatness of his singing voice yet as an interpreter. And even Jesse said like, well, hey, I listened to that first single of his, and I was like, that's Willie Nelson? I was like, aside from that, though, 
like his uh, performative ability was there from the jump. Again, he had that laconic singing voice inspired directly comes from Hank Williams Sr. I had a friend who said that like, you know, like every male country artist basically wants to be Hank Williams Sr. And then they fail and then, then they find their own unique style by doing it not like he did. So like, you know, Johnny Cash is the super paternal voice of God version of that as opposed to the wrecked drunkard, which is what Hank was, unfortunately. Uh, but then you have Willie Nelson who has, sings with a similar tone and also a, the I'm so lonesome I could cry sense of detachment of singing a sad, sad song, but singing with such stoicism. And such sort of peacefulness almost in the quality of his voice that, uh, you know, you understand the depth of the emotion underneath what he says and what he's saying. uh, But he doesn't he doesn't let you show the tears falling from his eyes. This is not rock. This is not like we're, you know, I'm going to ball in front of you to make you feel just how emotionally overwrought I am. This is, again, you know, it's adult. It's about having a little bit more self-control and self-regulation over those sentiments. And the shocking thing about it is, and this is the other thing, the first episode here we're going to do is going to spend a lot of time focusing on Willie as a songwriter. Mm -hmm. Because in this early phase, I mean, he would come back to these songs. These songs, it's actually shocking. This is the period where he had no real commercial success, and yet the songs that he wrote for other people have become immortal. Is there a more immortal broken relationship song than Crazy? Crazy. Crazy for feeling so lonely. I'm crazy. Crazy for feeling so blue. I knew you'd love me as long as you wanted And then someday you'd leave me for somebody new Worry Do I let myself worry? Wondering What in the world did I do? Okay, crazy. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if that's where you want to start. That's probably a little later on. That's 61. But, I mean, let's start with these early songs that he was writing and he was farming out to other people. Because, I mean, this is how he became – and this is how he's allowed to survive without having right. the actual commercial success under his own name because he was so respected as a writer for other people's music that people were like, oh, I'm going to keep you around on the payroll just because you're going to come up with another crazy for me you know, you know, or pre-paper or something like that somewhere down the line. Hello, Walls. So let's talk about, about this. Yeah, I mean crazy is it's, – it's interesting to um, – you know, one of the lines people say about Willie Nelson's um, uh, early career is that, you know, when he was at RCA, uh, you know, they, they they just never had the sense that actually they did at times. But this is the cliche. They never had the sense to let him record something that sounded like the demos he was cutting for these other artists. And you can now, of course, buy those demos in excellent collections. And you hear, yes, these are very nice versions. But you compare his version, um, his original 
recording that was shopped for crazy. And it's, you know, just a very stripped down, spare Willie Nelson arrangement. Patsy Cline, of course, it's like the full orchestral treatment or Owen Bradley producing it. Um, um, it's and it, and it becomes, you know, arguably her most famous song, certainly one of the top three. Crazy for thinking that my love could hold you. The thing is, though, she also does the kind of jazzy phrasing that that mm-hmm. he that, that that he does. Yeah, you know, they're they're um the uh, arrangements are so different, and yet you know she really in, interprets it in a way that's I think true to you know the Willie Nelson spirit, and in a way it's given that early influence of jazz and jazz inflected Sinatra style pop. It, it's it's kind of neat that one of his um, first really famous songs is one that crossed over in a very similar way. You mentioned it's the first time we are diving into country and there's a first time for everything. I actually, it's the first time I've ever lost my notes for an episode. I lost a page of notes for this first episode. First page went gone. <laughs> and it's the first page. So I'm, I'm rebuilding some of this, some of my thoughts on this on this early stuff from, from memory. Uh, a couple of things about these, these early songs he was writing for others. One is that I think it's pretty clear that he could have continued in this vein for as long as he wanted. He could have continued writing these amazing songs and giving them away, well, selling them, but but allowing others to write to, to record them, and had, probably could have made a great life of it. Not I mean, only was not only could he have done that, he, he was expected to. Entire fortunes in Nashville yes, have been built absolutely. on the back of just being a great go-to songwriter. You can have a mansion with your, you know, your giant pool just yeah. by doing that. Yep. But yeah, exactly. That wasn't what. And, he and especially since these were songs that you know different people would come at from different angles. I mean, Jeff mentioned Al Green's version of "Funny How Time Slips Away," which is, of course, fantastic. It's one of the best Willie Nelson covers ever. But here's a song that you know it can jump over from. I mean, not just having back then, if one person had a country hit, everyone else would record it too in country. Uh-huh. But you know, he, he was writing the stuff that someone like Al Green covers. On one of his first songs that took off, off also was Nightlife. It hit for Ray Price, but who did, made it a staple of his shows for years to come? Like B.B. King. Mm-hmm. You know, it becomes a, a blues standard. Um, <laughs> we, have so, to I mean, drop, we have to drop a B.B. King clip because I, I mean, as much as I love Willie's, that is the one. When the evening, evening sun goes down, you're gonna find me at the Apollo. Somewhere hanging around, I said, at the Apollo, nightlife. Yes, it ain't no good life, people, but it's my life. Yes, all the people, just like you and me. Everybody's dreaming, dreaming about the old used to be nightlife. Oh, it ain't no good life, 
Yeah. Well, they eventually recorded it together. That was inevitable. <laughs> I mean, of course. They're yeah. never going to yeah. meet it up, right? Yeah. yeah I mean, funny, I mean, those songs, some of, and this kind of gets to what I'm talking about. Like, we, when we talk about his early stuff, which again, it doesn't conform to our normal kind of pattern here on political beats of like, here's the album discography and here's the non album single. This stuff is all, again, you know, when he, he's literally plying his trade, selling a song here, selling a song there, gets into the studio, records an album, is never really satisfied with the actual arrangements of his own versions of these songs. And so that's why he goes back and revisits them later. But it cannot be escaped just how brilliant at an early, early age mm -hmm. Willie Nelson was as a writer. It, go back and listen to the lyrics of Funny How Time Slips Away. This is on his first actual official album. I think he wrote it in like 57, 58. So we are 50s here. Well, hello there. It's been a long time. How am I doing? I guess I'm doing fine. It's been so long now and it seems like it was only yesterday. Isn't it funny how time slips away? Minimalism. Absolutely spare minimalism. Talking about something that was so intense so important to you in an earlier age and now you come back to it and you can only remember the feeling the death of that feeling perhaps but you're not going to over you're not going to just over elaborate upon it it's just something that just this is a thing that happened now, how's your new love i hope he's doing fine I, I i you know i heard you told him yes baby which is to say like uh you broke my heart and now you're married to someone else mm -hmm. the ways of making these otherwise very painful emotional observations uh, without sort of cracking, you know, cracking your demeanor, you know, remaining upright, remaining proud, and remaining strong despite what must obviously be enormous psychological pain. I guess to me that's always been the Willie Nelson hallmark, which is again one yeah. reason why like, I didn't appreciate this when I was 15. Yeah. Well, hello there. My. It's been a long, long time How am I doing? Oh, I guess that I'm doing fine It's been so long now But it seems now it was only yesterday Gee, ain't it funny How time slips away It also, like, doesn't necessarily leap out at you from the page. Sometimes it does. It's written to be interpreted. Um, it's written to be performed. Uh, I, I can remember in high school, like at some English class, they gave us some exercise. This was actually in like a textbook. It um, wasn't something the teacher thought up where they had like, are these lyrics um, poetry? You know, and one of the um, one of the songs was Bruce Springsteen's Born to Run. And actually, they, they reproduced every time he said baby, which was aggravated. But <laughs> if you take those out, it does look like kind of like did they run out every whoa, 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 whoa at the yeah. end. <laughs> They might have. I don't remember. I remember the babies. They would stick in the middle of the line. But it's like, you know, whether or not you think this is a good poem, it looks like somebody sat down to write a beat poem. Mm -hmm. You know, they also had Willie Nelson's Heaven and Hell. 
and on the page we're just like and sometimes it's heaven and sometimes it's hell what why is would this even be considered you know something that i mean i had heard it so i knew that it actually was a really good song i would say a better song than born to run other people might disagree but it does not leap from the page and say oh there's something you know he, he is a um it's in the voice. in the 60s in nashville people thought of him as like a super sophisticated um songwriter um that was doing stuff that maybe sometimes was getting ahead of what was commercially viable um although obviously he was writing hits too but he was still doing it in this pre-dylan pre-christopherson um a very plain spoken way um and that's part of i mean he's he's like at that moment where you're starting this kind of literary revolution in country songwriting that other people built on um but doing it for the most part although he's capable of when he wants to doing the pyrotechnics but mostly without doing like the crazy wordplay and so on that people after dylan sort of start associating with quote-unquote great songwriting well it's the subtle literary it's the subtle twist at the it's end subtle, of those yeah. okay so for example on funny how time slips away it seems like a ballad of sentimental romantic longing and regret and then you get to that last verse and then there's the darkness which mm-hmm. is another willy willy trademark where it just goes to a weird place where he says and i gotta go now i guess i'll see you hanging around i don't know when never know when i'll be back in town but remember what i told you that in time you're gonna pay well ain't it funny ain't it surprising how time slips away whoa that that turned dark there at the end that's, that's like when so, we, we talk with dave lowry from cracker and camper van beethoven one of the the uh, axioms is that the truth is in the third verse right you can sort of right. you can sort of play around in the first and second verses and maybe you're kidding around a little bit but that third verse comes and the twist and and the hard cold reality hits you in that third verse and that's the anger a the lot. anger yes. that just hides yeah. underneath that sort of laconic exterior where like yeah you know i'm doing fine i'm okay my heart's not broken but it, you know he's holding on to that pain and he's never gonna let it go yeah. i gotta go now i guess i'll see you around Don't know when though Never know when I'll be back in town But remember What I tell you In time You're gonna pay And it's surprising how time slips away and that's to me like you know signature willie nelson and it, what's amazing is that signignature willie nelson was there in oh, the writing yeah from the early 50s. on yeah. in the 50s right from the beginning of his career so it's 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 in a weird way he's not fully formed as a performer as a musician releasing like you know his own albums under his own name but in another completely different way he's he's yeah. wholly formed I, he, he, he you're saying Scott? yeah I, I, uh, hello walls right so the, yes. the, sto- the story writing hello walls is he's just thrown into a room with hank cochran who's a great songwriter in his own right and, and they're trying to figure out how to write together and they, and they can't they just like they're just beating their head against the wall no pun intended and hank cochran says i i gotta go make a few phone calls i'll be back and in that 15 minutes that hank cochran's gone making phone calls willie alone in a room writes 
hello walls. And the, the way, you know, hello walls, hello window, hello ceiling through the, through the verses, um, the, the, the twist on how he interprets this loneliness and isolation is so brilliant. Talking to these completely inanimate objects around, you know, hello window, is that, a, is that a teardrop in the corner of your pain? And I love the word play, you know, the P-A-N-E in terms of the window, but P-A-I-N right. in terms of what they're right. feeling because, because she's gone. Uh, that's just such a wonderful twist of songwriting. And again, so early on in his career. Hello, Wendy. Well, I see that you're still here. Aren't you lonely? Since our darling disappeared. Well, look here. Is that a teardrop in the corner of your pain? Now, don't you try to tell me that it's rain. And it's also one of those songs you can hear so many times. I mean, Farron Young had the big hit with it, you know, and other people have recorded it. It's one of those songs I heard several times before I actually sat down and, and like paid attention enough to say, holy crap, this is a weird idea for a song. <laughs> <laughs> he's talking to, uh, he's not even to, 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 you know, the house around him. Like this yep, guy, yep. I, you know, you could read this as a guy like cracking up. Um, right, yeah. You know, I mean, I mean it, and other songs like that are early songs like that too. I mean, crazy you know you can take that kind of literally um if, if you want to it's uh i uh and and this is another part of you know what makes those early uh compositions of his special is that they're uh, snappy enough just to work you know in the background on the radio and and you're not paying a lot of attention but you can maybe laugh at like the you know the obvious joke in them and then when you um sit down and really pay attention to them you realize there's a second and possibly a third dimension of what's going on that uh, did not hit you when you were just ambiently picking up on it yeah and he was also willing to go to places that you know every human has experienced but you're not supposed to necessarily talk about and of course you know and the way he did it is that you know through metaphor or through you know you know euphemism wonderful language like their nightlife you know the song that again bb king you know turned into a standard but there's that's a sad song in so many ways if you think about it this is you know in the evening sun goes down you'll find me hanging around the nightlife is no good life but it's mine it's my life you know i like i don't have anywhere else to go this is what I do. I I I I I, I run around. Many it was many people. What's the line? I'm gonna misquote it. It's like many people used to be just like me, dreaming of old used to be's. You know, they're wandering around and you know, lost in their fog, lost in their haze. They're getting drunk and they're going to bars and stuff like that. This is the nightlife, but it, you know, ultimately it's destructive. And of course, you know, Willie himself had a, a big hard drinking phase himself. <laughs> As he pointed out, he's like, I did it because I thought it was what you were supposed to do as a country singer. Listen to what the blues are saying. Mine is just another scene from the world of broken dreams. Life ain't a good life, but it's my life. 
if there's anybody who can claim that marijuana saved his life, yes! it be Willie Nelson because he was. It was much better for him than what he was doing before. Willie traded up in the best possible way. Far better to spend your life in a dope haze than it is to spend your life drinking like a handle of vodka every night. And those early songs do do you know, carry out some of that. And you're like, yeah. There are, uh, I guess this actually kind of brings us to his first album. So he finally got together. He went to Liberty Records, right? I mean, I don't know anything about him other than the name, right? But he, he put together an actual recording of his own songs, many of which had become famous for other people. And it's called, because of the nature of his career, he called it And Then I Wrote. And this is Willie Nelson's debut album. And it has so many of these famous songs that we've already discussed there in his, you know, not if not first, then his first official recordings of them. And I was wondering, what do you guys think of this? Do you think it's just, a, it's like, oh, it's just not as good. At the, these songs would be so much better later or in the mouths of other artists. What do you think of Willie's own first take on that? I should say, like, I um. I have this album in the form of like a, uh, a well, they call it a box set because it's framed as one, but it's really two CDs of all his Liberty recordings. Yes, I have seen so, that. Okay, okay yeah, yeah. So it's like I have a hard time thinking of this as a cohesive album because of that. Um, I intentionally try to reassemble it like that to remind myself that it was an album. But you're right. I, I, I get it totally, Jess. Yeah, so it, it's a um, – and I happen to really like this album. Um, I think this is like solid country performances of it. But what I choose to listen to when I go back to this stuff usually is the demos. Um, I mean, I also have the crazy, the demos, whatever it's called, the, uh, that collection. And that's much more stark. Um, and that's, those are the performances that I'm more likely to go. I mean, at least because some of these later re-recorded decades later, often the best versions come, you know, in the nineties or whatever. Um, but I, so I, I rec, I like this album. I would never tell anyone don't, don't listen to this album. It, it's very solidly good. And I mean, like as a, as a debut record, like you, it really shows, Hey, this guy can write um, and he can perform pretty well too. But I mean, it, it can't match the sort of stark intimacy of the demos that he was doing of the same songs. I think you're selling it short a little bit, and yeah. maybe it's because you've lived with these songs longer, and you've probably heard more of the the demos. I, I did go through and, and check out. There's an album, Crazy, the demo sessions. There's the early yeah. years, Complete Liberty recordings, which might be the one you're talking about. That's right. But um, boy, I think this is a tremendous debut album. Uh, certainly, the the quality of the songs is apparent based on the fact that even others were having hits with them. We've already discussed how he sort of led with this very unique voice and i think it's it's an outstanding collection it's an outstanding album it's it's not let, the let best. me be clear i'm not saying oh, yeah, in yeah. any way that it is right. even a mediocre album it, it's a very good album if you're doing like your top 20 willie nelson albums <laughs> I, I'm, it belongs on there i'm just saying you know for the listener who wants to explore yeah. um, this phase of his career I think the best first step into them is the demos. I was denied in any way yeah. trying to sell short oh, the album. Yeah. Well, it, it, also, it also points up the problem, you know, we've already talked about a lot here, is that, like, you know, with Country and with Nelson, like, you you have to separate sometimes the songs from, you know, the technical albums. Because, it's it, again, when The Who released Tommy, there is no alternate Tommies. It's just Tommy, all right? Right. They didn't re-record it three times later, or like sucks. <laughs> it's an album. It's a statement. But these songs were individual pieces, and so like yes, they are constantly evolving and being reinterpreted. Yep. But on this, on that album, like there are there are the weirdest. There's a song, "Darkness on the Face of the Earth," man. Mm -hmm. 
just afraid. The title alone tells you this is going to a place that country music doesn't go. All right. Because, you know, but it is exactly what you think. It's like when you, when you walked out of my life, baby, it was like the darkness upon the face of the earth. But it is truly apocalyptic. Stars fell out of heaven. Was The moon was gone. Suns in a billion pieces scattered all around. You leave me. You knew it would hurt. And now there's darkness on the face of the earth. And the thing is, is that I uh, a lot of people like criticize early Nelson all the way up until basically the early 70s as being like, oh, he was entrapped by what were the, 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 mod- the, the Nashville standards yeah. of the day. The not, Nashville sound. Not yet, though. But I, I kind of felt like, yeah, not yet. And also, I mean, even then, like, I don't know, maybe I really am turning into an old fogey, but I kind of <laughs> like it. The morning that you left me Was just another day How could I see the sorrow That had found me Then you laughed and told me That I was in your way And I turned and ran As heaven fell around me I stumbled through the darkness My footsteps were unsure I lived within a world That had no sunshine When you left me, darling My world came to an end And there was darkness On the things of the earth I, mean, I do. I do not object to it. There, the, I don't know. I don't want to steal anything you want to have to say about it, Scott. But there's a song on this record called "Mr. Record Man." Yeah, I mentioned that one. Uh, That's great. Oh, oh, it's so good. Well, then you, yeah, well, well, I'll say no more. Go yeah, for it. Well, it's one of those. It's one he sold uh, early. On. I think he sold that one. I know at least other artists had done it before being out here. But yeah, to me, the the heart of this record, in addition to hearing his versions of the songs that were made famous by others, is this 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 two step. Uh, Mr. Record Man in Three Days, which is right, yeah. in, right in the center. Mr. Record Man is this wonderful uh, lament about hearing a song on the radio and someone who feels the same way that you do, which is such a universal uh, emotion, especially for those of us who, who really love music. You, you hear something and you know that that person's feeling your pain. Um, could there be, he, he thinks, could there be somewhere... Uh, another lonely man like me. Uh, here, listening to a lonely song about a lonely man like me. Uh, that invitation to sort of, sort of share in the pain. I was driving down the highway With the radio turned on And the man that I heard singing Sounds so blue and all alone As I listened to his lonely song I wondered could it be? Could there somewhere be another lonely man like me? There was something about a love that didn't treat him right, and he'd wake from troubled sleep and cry her name at night. And then three days is one of the more up-tempo tracks on here. Uh, again, 
when you're looking for heartache, when you're looking for bad times, when you're looking to for 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 being uh, th- those that time after a relationship ends, three days filled with tears and sorrow, yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and then uh, the the kicker, the same three days start all over again. It's a never-ending uh, you know circle of misery. Three days, yesterday, today, and tomorrow, filled with tears and sorrow. Those two songs to me form the heart of this debut which I think is just excellent three days that I dread to see arrive three days that I hate to be alive three days filled with tears and sorrow yesterday today and tomorrow there are three days I know that I'll be blue Three days that I'll always dream of you It's a collection of great songs, and, and yet, as Jesse points out, you know, you might not think of it as a great album, simply, you know what? If he'd never re-recorded it, we'd treasure it. Yeah. That, that's yeah. the thing. If he'd never gone back to these songs, this would be the only version of them that we had, as I said, like rock bands. And then we would like find everything that we could to praise about it. But because we have later like versions of these performances that are so much more weathered and different with, with greater musical possibilities you know, within them, we, we don't probably give this the, the credit it deserved. And, and of course, people didn't give him the credit it deserved time right. because this is the stint where he becomes a pig farmer for a little while <laughs> we're going to talk about that so he does another album with liberty it's uh here's willie nelson it, it's it's sort of like the uh it's funny to talk about someone like nelson in these terms but it is the sophomore slump well like all of the great hits that he'd given were on that first one and the second one i don't think has nearly as as much to recommend it I, it's you know much more generic, and of course we have the same stylistic arguments. But here's the hilarious thing: Willie didn't agree either, and so he literally quit the music industry temporarily. And as the joke goes, I don't know how long it was or how serious it was, but he was yeah, he was just like working on a pig farm, you know, grabbing them by the ears, and I guess you know slopping the troughs and stuff like that. Um, but then he gets signed by RCA. And well, RCA is synonymous with country, and this is where Chet Atkins enters the story. And Jesse, it sounds like you want to tell me something. I, I yeah, I um, well, I was yeah. going to say briefly just that one way you can tell this is like the sophomore album is that it's actually like half covers, maybe even yeah. more than half covers. Right. You know, right. uh, you know, reasonable versions of it. But you know, and this man would develop to be one of the greatest cover artists in the history of yeah. music, but he wasn't yeah. there yet. Yeah, and but the other thing is, in between Liberty and RCA, there's a very brief interval at Monument Records, mm, um, yeah. and he records, I think, just one single. Maybe there's two. Maybe I'm thinking it's uh, the A side and the B side, and that includes one of his strangest early songs. Not one he wrote for other people, but he just wrote it and recorded himself, um, which is uh, "I Never Cared for You." And it has that it has that opening line, the sun is filled with ice and gives no warmth at all, which, you know, it's as darkness on the face <laughs> of the earth. You know, <laughs> I, it, it's, and it winds up, I mean, it's sort of a simple idea for a song where he's like the uh, the idea is that these are all things that are not true. And one of them is I never cared for you. Um, it, it's actually the opposite of what I was saying earlier, where he avoids the pyrotechnics, but there's the greater depth to it. In this case, it's more like um, it's a pretty simple heartbreak 
concept but he's but he's going for you know this this is like the closest he gets to being dylan-esque in (laughs) in this period you know but that lyric i mean in his um and one of the biographies of him, there's like a couple of moments of people like meeting him and just quoting that opening line to them. Like, you're the guy who sang this line. I heard it on the radio. Um, and it got some people's attention and made them, uh, I mean, as fans and, um, and so in some cases being musicians who would work with them um, and drew them to this guy who would write and sing a line like that. The sun is filled with ice and gives no warmth at all. The sky was never blue. The stars are raindrops searching for a place to fall And I never cared for you I know you won't believe these things I tell you No, you won't believe Your heart has been forewarned All men will lie to you Your mind cannot conceive So all depends on what I say to you And on your doubting me So I've prepared these statements far from true Pay heed and disbelieve The sun is filled with ice and gives no warmth at all. The sky. I'm so glad that Jesse flagged that song. It's not one that I was familiar with, um, but it's so much fun. It's it's such a great song, and there's a there's a YouTube uh, video of of him doing it live, and it's not lip synced, as far as I can tell. It's it's him actually playing it live. Looked like '64 or '65. It looked very contemporaneous. And he just kills it. It's, it's a tremendous performance of, of the song. I really, really like it. Is this when he was still looking clean cut yes, and he's very, in a turtleneck? Absolutely. And you're like, How could this possibly be Willie Nelson? Oh, well, yeah, yes. that's the other thing. This could be fun for the show to talk about the image changes of Willie Nelson. Because right, right now he just looks like a normal guy who could be like maybe your roofer or your next door neighbor. <laughs> uh, but that's about to shoot. <laughs> so like what happens here right this is this is when the, in that sort of middle period he is said he quits for a bit but of course his reputation as a songwriter is, is immense there's really never any question he was going to get back into the business right and where does it come it comes with rca victor now rca is a dead name these days no one remembers rca unless they're like people who like excavating the past and then they remember the little dog listening to the, <laughs> the big you know gramophone right that was rca victor wasn't it founded by edison am i am i remembering that correctly this was thomas edison's company uh i may i may not be remembering that factoid correctly but they're very old school and they were the R- kind of were you gonna say R- rca the um the company rca um stands for radio corporation of america and was formed as a patent pool because in the wake of World War One, the U.S. government did not want these patents controlled by uh, foreign companies, and they basically um, compelled them to sell it. It's like one of the great, uh, bizarre... And, Trust-busting kind uh, yeah. of a thing, almost. I, 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 well, no, it's almost it's, it's, it's the opposite. It's the opposite I mean, it's, of it's, breaking up Ma it Bell. They the, uh, consolidated Ma Bell, United right. The government creating a quasi-monopoly, um, and like there was like the members were all things like um, United Fruit, and I, I'm sorry, this is this is told in my first book, Rebels on the Air. Uh, pick it up if you want to <laughs> well, read it. That's right. It. We have an expert on the show. 
I mean, this is so good because because it actually kind of explains a lot of RCA's approach to both music, not only with with Nelson, but with a lot of other artists in general. Is that it's very corporatist, and it lacks sort of an individual hands-on approach that you could even get in some play, strange. Hey, you find a funky producer even at EMI Parlophone named George Martin, he'll let you go weird. But at RCA, they had a they had a hit. They had a hit-making formula, and they had a program, and they had an approach. And RCA was the I, I don't know if they were the biggest, but they were certainly one of the true major players in country music at the time. And well, basically all throughout this, this is the label of Elvis. And of course, Elvis, the ultimate crossover, right? From country to rock to global megastar, right? So Elvis, you know, was the flagship of RCA, but they also had a huge Nashville segment that was just country. And that's where Willie Nelson got signed. And I think his first actual recording for them was a song. You guys, are you, you guys a big fan of the Orbison track? Uh, the one that they gave Pretty Paper? Pretty Paper? Yeah, I like it. I, I, I love it. I guess it's kind of a Christmas thing. It I is suppose. a Christmas. It is. Yes. Yeah. 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 Wrap your presents to your darling from you. Pretty pencils to write I love you. I, I, I should say, because I just looked to check on this, the Victor half is actually older than that, and RCA purchased it in the 20s, so it's part of that monopolistic building. But, yeah. <laughs> I was sorry, I'm, I, what I know the history of is the radio no, this side is, of it. Yeah, but, yeah. This is great, and of course, the reason it matters is because people will argue now for the next six, seven years, geez, actually, functionally a decade, um, that Nelson was kind of forced into a system that did not fit with his music and what he wanted to do. And the constant thing you're going to hear now is that the divergence between his live performances, mm. which are one sort of thing, and that what you hear on these studio albums, which is much more so, I would say, sedate or like, you know, again, formula, goes to the formula. I am, I'm not going to entirely disagree with this, but I do have a slightly hot take where I think, I, I really actually think there's a lot of his RCA years here that which run by what 62 to say 71 71 72 um that are really good and uh and are unappreciated and i don't know you know jesse do you want to explain who chet atkins is to the world or do you want one of us to try i mean i'll i'll give the short version you guys might know might know more but chet atkins has sort of two kind of parallel reasons people remember him number one he is a virtuoso guitarist universally respected um i mean one reason why willie nelson has said that he was a little reluctant to push back in the studio is because he was in awe of chet atkins right. uh, guitar playing and he and it also like, because he couldn't believe that chet atkins believed in me so yeah and also as a hit maker as a producer but with the producer it's a bit more complicated legacy the two names that are associated with the nashville sound in terms of production are chet atkins and owen bradley um, Owen Bradley is the guy who produced Crazy for Patsy Cline. And what, what you talk about people, um, he actually, not everything he did is the kind of syrupy strings people sort of mean when they say the, the Nashville sound, but just an expert pop producer. Chet Atkins, to my taste, not as good at running the studio. And a lot of, um, a lot of the kind of, let's say, um, less thoughtful and organic crossovers or attempted crossovers from country to pop happened under under his watch and there is a um he was someone who's 
give him he deserves more credit for being willing to experiment than um he sometimes gets it's because you know i mean when waylon jennings in this time was you know ted atkins said this idea of him doing sort of a folk rock kind of thing and he he called it folk country that's you know and he's like getting him to cover bob dylan and stuff like that if he thinks there's gonna there could be a hit in it um he will you know he will pursue it but he's still ultimately kind of conservative and his sensibility very different from willie nelson's um and there's a um and when you go through the RCA um, section of Willie Nelson's career, there are a lot of album tracks that are more strange and adventurous than you would expect, um, given the period's reputation. And of course, some of the straightforward um, sort of country uh, country pop things are just really solid country pop. You know, the Nashville sound can be really good when it's on target. If you can truthfully say that you've been true just one day well that makes one in a row one in a row one in a row and if you can look into my eyes one time without telling lies well that makes one in a row, one in a row, one in a row. Um, so I, I think the um, the period of his career gets kind of undersold. Um, and if you really want to sort of explore uh, the sort of the stranger tracks, there's actually a cool compilation that came out a few years ago called It Will Come to Pass, I think, yes. um, which pulls together just a lot of the more... The um, docs. yes, that's yeah. exactly right. <laughs> in, the, in the liner notes, um, they call it lysergic um, <laughs> material, <laughs> which might um, get a little bit further. To, and we'll talk about some of these individual tracks as, as, as we get to them. But So that's there, but there's also some really... Um, ill thought out um, um uh, i i'll jump ahead and can i can i say a bit about um willie nelson and family i know that's later sure, yeah, yeah. you're dropping out well we'll talk when we get to that yeah what were you gonna say yeah I, well i mean there is a version of uh, the chris christopherson composition sunday morning coming down on there um now this is for those of you who don't know it one of the greatest songs ever written in ever any genre um johnny cash did the most famous like sort of hit version of it. Willie Nelson eventually did the version that I heard growing up on his tribute album to Christopherson. Very good. Just a fantastic song about someone um, feel who's like kind of feeling alienated from, he's on the outside of family and church and all that, looking in and feeling like he's missing something. And it's, there, it's witty. It's got that great opening couplet. I woke up Sunday morning with no way to hold my head that didn't hurt. The beer I had for breakfast wasn't bad, so I had one more for dessert. You know, so I mean, it, it's and Chris Christopherson wrote this. Willie Nelson covers it to great effect on on in that album from like '79 or so. But on this album that came out about a decade earlier, um, I think that in the production booth somebody said, "Should we make this a loud rock song or should we go with something for orchestral?" Ah, screw it, let's do both. Okay, Willie, sing it like we're on Broadway. Then I cross the empty street and caught the Sunday smell of someone frying chicken and it took me back to something that I'd lost somehow somewhere along the way on a Sunday morning sign 
a stone Cause there's something in a Sunday That makes a body feel Like the most, um, it, it like this, and it begins with bombast. It doesn't even like build to it. It's it's like we're going to, and it, you listen to this and you think, you know, what on earth um, would possess someone to think that? The, and almost all of that album is like that. When we get to it, I'll tell people about the one track on that album that I like a lot. But there are just a lot of, um, <laughs> there's a lot of just trying to make him into something that he's not. And the and the worst thing about it is that. They didn't let Willie Nelson record with his road his band. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, like people who were used to playing with him, um, who are used to sort of, I mean, you know, Willie Nelson's famous off the beat uh, singing style, like used to watching him and jumping in and, and following him where it goes, but still keeping things tight. Um, and aside from the one live album that's released in this period, we don't have a record of how that sounded in the 60s. Um, and, you know, that's, uh, that's and, and in fact, with Willie Nelson and family, the his band was called The Family. The cover has this almost kind of hippie-looking crowd of people out on the outside. Like a campfire yeah, I mean, like it that, looks right? like you're going to have, all right, this is going to be the Austin music scene of the early 70s. And instead, it's, you know, uh, like going for the, um, you know, the, the schlock. Um, I'm, I'm going I'm, I'm to highly disappoint you, and we may have to end the show right now when I say that I actually really like that cover version of Sunday Morning coming down. So, oh, man. I know. Well, precisely because it's so bizarre. But we'll, well get well, to that later. I, I love it. I mean, look, if it were on the Dr. Demento show, I would say this is the greatest <laughs> thing ever. <laughs> but as an interpretation of, of one yeah, of the right. great The songs. of the lyric. The yeah. lyric. Well, so speaking of interpretations of great lyrics, so this first album, the first one he did for RCA, and this is going to be a pattern. He actually, it's country Willie, and he hated the fact that that, that Chet Atkins kept insisting that he put the word country in his albums. He's like, I'm, I want to be a musician for America, not just country. Even then, Willie Nelson didn't want to be pigeonholed. Right? But he does re-record a lot of those big hits. He does Nightlife Over Again. He does Hello Walls. He does Funny How Time Slips Away. I don't know what you guys think of the re-recordings of those songs. Do you think it's just like... Do you think they're worse than the first versions of them? Or you know, better or indifferent. And I also want to know what you think about one that is the first time I remember ever hearing it, which is my own peculiar way. I think the, uh, the quote unquote originals, the, the ones that are on the, the first Liberty album are um, essentially superior to the reworkings of the old material here on this yeah. album. And it wouldn't be the last time we'd hear some of these songs redone too. I don't think, again, I don't think there's anything really wrong at all with the way those songs ended up on the first album. Um, I think that he pretty much nailed them at that point. Um, the, you know, the one thing that does begin to come in on Country Willie is, uh, you know, I said not yet when Jeff said some of those production ticks that were going to enter and, and this is where they start with Chet Atkins coming in and RCA. So you have those 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 heavy strings that, that, uh, that are obtrusive you know, those heavenly choirs that come and sing parts, those gently strummed acoustic guitars. It's the sound, largely, of country at this time. 
And no, it didn't suit him incredibly well. And it's not to say there aren't some songs that don't still work. Uh, Healing Hands of Time, which is on Country Really, I think that is not perfect, but is a pretty strong arrangement of, of that song. They let me close my eyes just then Those healing hands of time And soon they'll let me sleep again Those healing hands of time So already I've reached mountain peaks And I've just begun to climb I'll get over you By clinging to Those healing hands of time I'll get old all in all this begins a pattern with him and these RCA records I told, told Jeff earlier on I, there are there are albums where you sort of see him able to fight his way through whatever he's not agreeing with the, the production the, the style what's, what's been layered on and then the next album will sort of take a step back and then right. the next one will be okay he's sort of figuring out how to work the system and the, and the next one will take a step back the way you put back. it to me is like you always can see like the way up and yes. the way out but yes. he never quite gets there and, and, and it's a it's a retreat in the next album that's not quite true here cuz i think the next album is actually pretty good but yeah. this this first one is sort of the well he's just starting to feel his way out as to how his songs can live and survive in this environment of RCA and Chet Atkins. Speaking of that next album, I mean, we don't have to spend too much time on all these RCA albums, but yeah, that one, yeah. the next album was, again, Chet Atkins insisted on having country in the title. So it's country favorites, Willie Nelson style. And this is all covers. But this is the moment where I'm like, all right, now I get why everyone wants to listen to Willie Nelson sing other people's songs. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, you can say, oh, the Nashville style and all that, but, and when I hear him sing Seasons of My Heart, you know, or, uh, you know, My Window Faces the South, which is funny, kind of like Southern Pride song, you know, he's a pretty great cover artist already, even if you can say that he's like sort of struggling underneath the the, the waves of, yes. you know, Nashville sound and Nashville expectations. And he's I helped, really do like that record. He's helped a ton here because he's playing with a hot band. He's playing with Ernest Tubbs band, the Texas yeah. Troubadours, and he's not... He's not playing with the band he plays with on the road, but he had played with these guys before, and they sort of understood what he was trying to do. And this is a batch of really great songs that he's covered, uh, that he's chosen to cover here. Uh, that first one, uh, the uh, Columbus Stack Blues. Yeah. It's just fire. That's just so good. Way down to Columbus, Georgia. I want to be back in Tennessee. Way down to Columbus, Stargate. Friends have turned her backs on me Go and leave me if you wish to Never let me cross your mind In your heart you love another Leave me little darling, I don't mind Home in San Antonio is, is in that same mold uh, Hank Cochran, who he was co-writing with earlier, trying to co-write with earlier, uh, "Go on Home." That's a great song, just so well paced. Um, country had favorites, been, it's great. Hadn't he been, hadn't he been on uh, 
uh, Ernest Tubbs TV show? Am I getting yeah. my people? Mixed I think in? he. Yeah. I think yes. he's. Well, I thought he was on it like 120 times. Yeah, I yeah. I mean, like he was like a regular. I don't know how many times, but it was. Um, so I mean, yeah. This there's a familiarity here, which you know, it, it, again, it's not the guys he tours with, but um, they know. But there's him. people he can just sit down and play with, close yeah. his eyes, and they know him. They know, and they know his rhythms, and they know the way it works, and it shows on the record. Which, incidentally, is a good way to transition to this. So at the late 60s, where I brutal to country music in general, commercially, you know, even though it had its niche and it had its audience, you know, there's a reason we, we look at the late 60s careers of country greats, you know, which was what was going on in the meantime, psychedelia, you know, oh, hard rock, you know, blues rock, all the stuff that you, you see in the pop world, I guess. Revolver and Sgt. Peppers is the obvious way of sort of, you know, putting it into just, you know, two albums to summarize. Uh, and meanwhile, country music artists looking at that, everyone's, you know, tuning in, turning on and dropping out. Uh, well, culturally, that doesn't quite align with our, our values and the way we're selling our stuff. And so country music during that era gets weird and honestly never too terribly great. It's a strange era where everyone was trying to find their way to a new answer, a new conceit. And this is, by the way, I think Outlaw Country exists because you had to react to like the sort of summer love, psychedelic, all of that sort of free range musical musical expression in one part of the musical world, mm -hmm. but without abandoning what made you essentially country. And Outlaw Country was that version of that statement and that rebellion. I, I, you know, some of my favorite country music in the world came out at the end of the late night at, at the end of the nineteen sixties. Sixty nine, actually. Sixty eight, sixty nine, but sixty six, yeah. sixty seven oh, yeah. is pretty dire. Except and this is the interesting this is this is me handing the pitch off to you, Jesse. All right. Except for a country music concert, which is that one live document of Willie Nelson. Yeah, and, and for his, whatever reason, managed to get recorded and escape from the vault. He's playing. I think it was in Fort Worth at some like pool hall or something right. like that. Where you, yeah, but you know, this is we were saying that he was not having the commercial success as a performer, except in Texas. He right. was touring Texas all the time, and there were some venues where they knew him elsewhere in the country too. He wasn't only touring Texas, but Texas is where. He, he was whole almost Texas a star. album during this point. Well, yeah, his first soul. his first concept album is not Yesterday's Wine or Phases and Stages. It's Texas in My Soul, yeah, where yeah. all the songs are about one part of Texas <laughs> or another, um, which I don't think was his idea, but right, yeah, he right. went along with it. Yeah, but that um, live album is pretty hot. Yeah, it's 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 uh, and it's interesting to contrast it with like the live album he did ten years later, Willie Nelson and Family, because there's a uh, a Willie and Family live. I mean, because there's you can see him so, like what the band is absorbed from all the revolutions in between and music but yeah i mean the the uh, crowd knows him you know i mean like they're they're happy they're, they they like his jokes um like he introduces yesterday the, the beatles cover i alluded to earlier and he has like some things about here's a hot young country band you know from the opry called the beatles you know? <laughs> but then he says but as a songwriter i have to say i really appreciate the song and then he does like a really nice performance of it so i yeah it's i hate to say if you Listen to just one album um, from the 60s, uh, pick this one, because, no, it's not representative of, of it. But, you know, it's one of the best albums he actually did in the RCA period. I'd like to do a song now that uh, was recorded by uh, a pretty fair little country group known as the Beatles. <laughs> I know you're f familiar with those. You've heard them many times on the Grand Ole Opry. <laughs> But ser seriously, 
this is a song that, as a songwriter uh, myself, I appreciate it very much because I think it's a very great piece of material, and I'd like to do it for you, and I hope you enjoy it. Yesterday, all my troubles seem so far away. Now it looks as though they're here to stay. Oh, I believe in yesterday. Suddenly, I'm not half the man I used to be. There's a shadow hanging over me. Yesterday came suddenly. It, it makes me it makes me wish there was like a whole um, set of like bootleg live stuff like there is for the dead of you know young Willie Nelson traveling around with I guess not that too young because he's already in his thirties um, by then right but uh, traveling around with his band and trying to break, you know, make it nationally and only really selling it in in uh, Texas Jesse isn't that fascinating to to realize that there is like an entire musical subculture vibrant thriving country music means so much to millions of Americans. People attend these shows every night, and yet people just weren't bootlegging it. They weren't taping it and recording it the way you was just known that you do it for a rock. Was, we get bootlegs from like 66, 67. That's when it really starts. People didn't tape shows for country concerts for some reason. Like It was a different culture and a different cultural approach. In, in just, fairness, it was harder to just, you know, bring something portable into there and, and not well, be seen. Well, because everybody had, you know, had their, 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 their six-shooters, their bandolero. <laughs> <laughs> right? You, 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 your, your recorder's clanking up against somebody's bandolero with the shotgun shells or something like that. What do we want to do about sort of this later 60s era of the RCA, you know, years? I actually... We've been talking about it because there's so many albums and so many of them just, again, it feels a bit a little bit back product. But I also don't think that we can really, you know, pass over this part of Willie's career without talking about a song like The Party's Over, which I just yeah. think is one of his. Yeah, which, which he, again, when he wrote in the um, in Old the time. 50s. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and um, probably uh, best known for being covered by Dunn Meredith yes. on football uh, <laughs> uh, broadcasts but, over I, the years. And a, and a Texas guy. Dandy Dunn was from Mount Vernon, Texas. So those Texas people stayed together. Turn out the lights. The party's over. They say that all good things must end. Call it a night. The party's over. Tomorrow starts the same old thing again. What a crazy, crazy party. Never seen so many people laughing, dancing. Look at you, you're having fun. But look at me, I'm almost crying. But that don't keep her love from dying. Misery. Yeah, I, um, I, I will say one thing that I want to kind of bring up as an album, because I think it's one of the great underrated um, Willie Nelson albums, is Good Times, yeah. um, which came out in 1968, mm-hmm. I think. It's certainly um, his best album cover, I'd say, right? Yeah, it, it has the one, <laughs> probably the worst um, cover ever. As, in terms of a contrast of what you would expect from it, if for people... Um, 
who've never seen it, and that will be most people because this was not a smash hit. It's like he's on a, a, a golf course with this young woman, and and he's uh, putting you know his how to arms putt. around her to yeah. uh, to like help her uh, putt, but not in a way wife, that I must point out, not his wife. <laughs> yeah, and the various, and he's you know it just looks like it's going to be I don't know some like Ray Stevens comedy thing or something, and instead. The first half of it really is, uh, but the um, the sort of just stark, a man with his guitar playing strange um, songs. Um, you know, with, uh, I mean, not always just his one guitar. There are other um, instruments, um, but it, it's really got that feel of the demos, and the songs get very strange. Um, the one that I I can I know Jeff has his own nomination for like the great unsung uh, Willie Nelson album track of the RCA period and I like that one but um, pages oh well this is more than my okay. second one so yeah yeah okay I mean this musically this would not have been out of place on the third or fourth Velvet Underground album but your memory is determined and chances are few. Of my ever finding a replacement for you It desperately clings to the floor of my mind And fights for its place in the pages of time I, I, and I say that just, I mean, I mean, the lyrics are Willie Nelson, not Lou Reed, okay? But the way it sounds, the way that a second guitar noodling behind him sounds, you know, and the, the, right. the it sort of echoing, it, it's, it is this yeah, amazing, um, it. Yeah. Uh, it, it, again, this could be like the law, if, if, um, if the Velvet Underground covered a country song, this would be the one I would want to hear them cover. It's not um, even too terribly far removed from a song like Jesus, for example, which yeah, is one of my it, favorite Velvet Underground songs of all that's time. That's the sort of thing I'm, I'm thinking of, you know? It's a, um, it's a, the second half of this album is more traditional kind of Nashville sound uh, material, although I gotta say, generally um, good stuff. Um, you know, like uh, permanently lonely and buddy mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm. forth. But that first half, and especially pages, um, I, I hope you. I, I'm I'm going to stop trying to describe it and say make sure you just uh, splice in some of the music for this one so people can hear it. And then remember, this is Willie Nelson recording in 1968 um, for RCA. And one of the producers on this album who's letting him get away with it is Chet Atkins. <laughs> I don't know if this track was Chet Atkins or Felton Jarvis, who Chet Atkins would sometimes hand things over Delegate to. Delegate off, yeah. To yeah, and, and a lot. Of, and when later on we'll get to the, the real masterpiece of the RCA era, that's Felton Jarvis just letting things roll and not knowing what to do. Um, but uh, nonetheless, you know, Chet Atkins approved this, and they put that atrocious um, album cover on it. But um, it's, this is a good album. Kind of a, it's kind of a half and half, right? That first half is sort of yeah. folk-leaning and very acoustic and warm, and the second half has more of that Nashville sound that we're accustomed to hearing on some of these albums. I think Jeff's got a song from this one, and I've got a song from this one. I'm not sure it's the best of the era, but it's probably one, two, or three. I think December Day, which would be brought back for a future album, is also an, uh, a real highlight of good times. One of the best, certainly, from this RCA era, and 
lyrically matching the the end of the year, the cold and the loneliness to the end of a relationship. That whole first half is just very inviting um, and, 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 and sort of points a little bit toward the way that he'd use his guitar more so in the future too. Different sorts of sort of a, a cl- almost classical stylings at times playing on something like December Day. This looks like a December day It looks like we've come to the end of the way And as my memories race back to love's eager beginning Reluctant to play with the thoughts of the ending The ending that won't go away It really is an an album of of contrast in many ways. And you see some of the song titles like Ashamed and Permanently Lonely. And there's, (laughs) you know, you might get a sense of where he was in his relationship with the label around this time, too, because the success was not coming. I mean, this is now, what, three, four, five years into the stint at RCA, and they're still not moving records. And yet he's, he's, he's still trusting Chet Atkins. He's still trusting people who had faith in him to deliver uh, record sales to, to, to sort of know what's best for him in some way. Um, and yet, and yet with good times, you end up with, with a very half and half kind of record. I, I actually know about this album long before I really knew about Willie Nelson's discography in depth. And it's for one really incredibly stupid reason, which is because I'm a Parks and Rec fan. Oh yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and Red Ron Swanson, one of his favorite songs is this otherwise kind of like not very memorable track on the last part of the album called Buddy. Um, but it's just funny, you know. Ron Swanson is sort of a libertarian hero, a great, great, great person to mention him with, 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 with Jesse here, right? But uh, uh, it's it's just like one of those funny random points where I had no connection to Nelson's discography in this era until I finally did the show and joined the pieces up together. Now, <laughs> I, Buddy is one of the ones that he later re-recorded in a right. much better vein than than here. I, than this is here. Not- this yeah, is not the definitive version by right. any means. And Sparky, it's funny. Now, talking about these later RCA albums, there's one that we think we all agree kind of heralds the beginning of Willie Nelson as album artist. But before then, we still got like two, three, four, ten more of these <laughs> records where he's sort of kind of floating around. One of them I find to be uniquely interesting, and you can just tell by the title of it. And, of course, everybody who's been a Political Beats fan for a little while will understand why I like this. <laughs> the name of the album is called Both Sides Now. Guess who wrote that song? That's Joni Mitchell, as everyone knows, one of my my big white whales that we must cover on Political Beats. Another two-parter for sure. Uh, ironically enough, uh, Willie's version of it is terrible. It's one of the worst covers for a guy who's unique it, almost in his ability to do great cover versions, I really think he just missed the point of that song. Part of the reason being, like, you cannot recreate Joni's open tunings. And, you know, Nashville tunings are not going to get you there. Um, but it's a fascinating album in so many other ways because think about what it represents. This is Nashville, RCA, Nashville, Chet Atkins, country. Um, and what is he doing? This is the album where he covers Joni Mitchell. And uh, Fred Neal, Everybody's Talking, which is the Midnight Cowboy song. X-rated film, by the way, which has its own cachet. He's clearly saying, you know, without actually just like, you know, coming out and announcing it, he's saying, I have interests that I insist 
on representing on record that are outside of traditional country fields. And I think actually the best version, the best explanation of that is a song he wrote for this album, which nobody knows unless you're just a, a Willie super fan. And I found it when we did this exploration i didn't know it until now uh it's this random track called pins and needles no not the garage rock song that you might have thought of the really great you know nuggets pins and needles this is called pins and needles in my heart it's a co-write he wrote it with floyd jenkins and what's so amazing about it is that it is both a beautiful song beautiful melody but it is so different instrumentally and as a production from everything else he was doing at the time and it's immediate from the first second you turn it on all of a sudden you realize, well, this isn't country. And you might think that these two things are indistinguishable. Trust me, for those of us who are experts, they very much are. This is not country. This is folk rock. And it's Birdsian, Dylan-esque folk rock. A beautiful, um, almost like came out of nowhere song. Because I'd never heard anything that he'd done up until this point that sounded like this, that took that stylistic turn and that chance, and that to me is is a very a very important harbinger of things to come. I know not where on earth to find you. I know not how or when to start. I. Guitar showcase too on that. Yeah, I mean his guitar on that is fantastic. I actually didn't understand sometimes until I had to go back and do the research what it is that Willie contributes as a guitarist on a lot of these songs. Uh, it's substantive. He's not just one of those guys who just lets you know you, the the Nashville Steel Guitar Pro come in and take over. His acoustic style, which drives the from now on and from this point onward, is going to fundamentally drive almost all these arrangements unless he gets you know does a reggae album. Um, it, it's unique. It is a country style, as you said, inflected deeply by jazz guitar, uh, but very spare. And I, I guess it's kind of wiry, wiry and angular as Willie is himself. So I love both sides now, just as like uh, an album where he's like kind of declaring on public, even by titling the album that <laughs> uh, saying that like, no, I'm, well, again, we fall back on cliches for this episode. He is just a little bit country and uh, a little bit rock and roll. This this is I, especially the era, I think, where the quality varies wildly from wildly. album to album. Yes. Like, I think my own peculiar way, which is just before both sides now, I think that's probably the worst album of this entire RCA era. I, I think it's just Garbage. so flat uh, and lost. He sounds lost. And then he pops back with both sides now, which I agree with Jeff. 
This is a really interesting album. I like the the cover of Crazy Arms, which leads off the album. It's the I think the best version of I Gotta Get Drunk is on here. Um, this is this is not a, a Stone Cold classic, but it's really listenable. It's a it's a he really has, good album. This, he introduces Bloody Mary Morning, which later right, on exactly. he will do a much better version of. But this is still a pretty solid uh, yeah. <laughs> performance of a good. And I gotta I gotta defend the title track on this because I I will say this about Willie Nelson playing both sides now. This that's one of those songs you've heard it at least for me i've heard it so many times it just kind of watches over me mm-hmm. um i don't i'm not really pay attention to the words anymore and i was um listening to this while i was making dinner um you know in preparation for this show and when you know both sides now came on i found myself paying attention to the lyrics you know for the first time in years he was interpreting it in a different way and Maybe I don't. I wouldn't say he missed the point of the song. He's he's giving it a willy spin. I, it's not the reason to get this album by any means. I agree with Jeff that Pins and Needles in My Heart is the standout track. But I wouldn't say that's a terrible version of Both Sides Now. I, I uh, something about it kind of hooked me. I've looked at love from both sides now, from give and take, and still somehow it's love's illusion. I recall I really don't know love at all Well, I mean, it's just, you know, everyone has their preferences, but maybe because I'm such a, a Joni superfan nut... I refused, and of course, one of the first things I ever did when I started teaching myself open tunings was go hit that song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, that's probably why I feel that way about it. Now, we got these two more albums, laying my burdens down. Eh, it's not bad. It's terrible. But, that's a that's an awful one too. So. Yeah, it's. But then there's, of course, Willie Nelson and Family, where I'm about to disappoint you, Jesse, by saying I really did like that bizarre six minute long. <laughs> Sunday morning coming down version. Yeah, gonna, right after denouncing his version of both I know, sides I know, now, I know, I know. That's, that's why it's the so Broadway. Um, I, this is like how oh, how oh, Andrew Lloyd Webber's take on. But that's uh, why it's so funny for me. It's like how it's, could it's I hate funny. the one and then then like the other? And it, because I mean, I came up with it the first time. I actually, I ever heard it was not Chris Christopherson's. It was a Johnny Cash version of it, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, as you said, like one of the quintessential country songs, basically in the canon. Uh, and this is again, I just it's six minutes long, folks. Country songs are not six minutes long unless something has gone very weirdly wrong. <laughs> yeah, this is also the album where he does like a he does you know okay talk about this is my both sides now, Jesse. I hate James Taylor with an abiding passion. Mm-hmm. I he. I don't hate him. I, I, I only hate him because he, he just is so aggressively boring to me. And yet, hearing Willie Nelson sing Fire and Rain, which is, of course, one of James Taylor's most important and famous songs, I think his version, James's version of it, is anodyne. And it's the best way of putting it. I don't feel any emotion. It's Massachusetts stolidity. It's like, is it being sung by a reanimated corpse? That's what I feel like when I feel James Taylor sing that song. And then I hear Willie Nelson sing Fire and Rain. And all of a sudden, the sort of things that I dismissed as just being banal commonplaces, like <laughs> I've seen fire and I've seen rain. Well, it just means a heck of a lot more coming out of Willie's mouth than it ever did coming out of Taylor's. Lord knows when the cold wind blows, it'll turn your head around. And there's 
telephone line to talk about things to come. Our sweet dreams and flying machines and pieces on the ground. Oh, I've seen fire and I've seen rain. I've seen sunny days that I thought would never end. I've seen lonely times when I could not find a friend. But I always thought I'd see you, baby, one more time again. I always thought I'd see you, baby, one more time again. That there's one track on this album that I think uh, justifies this record's existence on something more than just kind of, um, well, this is an interesting experiment way, and that is Kneel at the Feet of Jesus. Yes. Um, it's the gospel song. Um, and this is one of those things I found um, as a, a college radio DJ, and I just sort of pulled out this record and I say, all right, you know, I haven't heard this before. What's, what's a good one? To, what would sound good as a segue coming out of this? You know, so I, I just <laughs> found it that way. And the arrangement, this is one where he, he did um, more than one version of this song over the, over the years. This is the first one. It is just a kick-ass gospel arrangement, feet stomping, <laughs> you know, banging on the piano, every, all these voices singing. And you can just take it on that level of, um, all right, this is just a really good uh, gospel song, I mean, gospel performance. But it's also a funny song about dying. And, you know, in the last few, like half decade, it seems like half the songs Willie Nelson records are funny songs about dying. You know, I don't go to funerals, you know, and stuff like that. But I mean, this is like, it starts with, well, I've been hanging around too long. Guess it's about time I'll be moving on. I'm going to kneel at the feet of Jesus in the morning. You know, he's happy. He's going to see Jesus, but which is kind of a classic gospel trope, but he's doing it in this um, kind of, and then they, the couplet, I'm always just sort of randomly singing um, and alarming my kids. Uh, like um, just a little bit of dirt and a little bit of gravel. Don't bear in me, weigh me down. Cause you know, I'm going to travel, <laughs> you know, it, it's just, he's having fun with this. Um, hey, listen, I, I, I just will, love Willie apparently sung redheaded stranger to his kid. And I'm just, <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? Why are you warping your child like that? <laughs> it's, so it's, there's nothing it's, wrong with what you're doing. Well, I guess I've been hanging around too long. It's just about time I was moving along, but I'm going to kneel at the feet of Jesus and the morning. About time I was moving along, but I'm a gonna kneel at the feet of Jesus in the morning. I'm gonna kneel at the feet of Jesus in the morning. I'm a gonna leave this sinful world before the dawn. It's, and I got to say, we're, I'm going to get asynchronous again, but in terms of like contrasting two different versions of the same song, this is yeah. one he's done like three or four times. In the 90s, um, he and his sister did a, a gospel album, which for the most part is just him singing and playing guitar and his, and his sister plays piano and it's straight gospel, gospel renditions. But for two tracks, and this is one of them, uh, they add a bass player and they become a jazz trio. And it is just a completely different interpretation. I love that version of the song, too. Um, and to me, this is like one of the great underappreciated Willie Nelson songs. And the fact that there are these two 
amazing, but sort of diametrically opposed in mood uh, performances of it. Uh, that's, that's just an embarrassment of riches. And it's not even one of his famous songs. And one of the interesting things about it as well is that we don't usually think of Willie Nelson as a gospel kind of a cover artist. Or, or There are the tradition of country music is thick. With you know famous artists who literally devoted entire corners of their side career just to recording praise music, mm-hmm. Elvis Presley, for example. I mean, how many Elvis Christian albums are there? Johnny Cash, deeply religious man. Willie Nelson, you don't think of him then in, in quite the same way. I guess, again, the outlaw rap and stuff like that probably plays a role. But uh, it's very. I always have to say this is not fair. This is an unfair read on it. This is a retroactive read. But I always approach a Willie Nelson gospel song warily. I'm like thinking, what is he really trying to tell me here? Because I always think of him as, as being, you know, sort of a darker and, and, and more cynically tinged author or even a cover artist for that matter. Uh, but it's not true. It's, 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 it's a beautifully sincere and funny song. And that, by the way, that later gospel album, I don't know if we'll even get to talking about it in part two because again, there's so many side projects and things that you could discuss. But it is really quite nice. And it is yeah. really, it's really lovely. And I guess it's a great way to take us to his actual, you know, the moment where God speaks to him. You know, and 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 says, you know, like, listen, hey, did, did, what, there ain't one but one perfect man that ever lived on this earth, and they nailed him to a block of wood. So who are we left with? We're left with you, imperfect man. And this is the one that it wasn't a surprise to me because I'd already known it a couple years ago. But learning about it in the context of what you now realize is the accepted narrative of the Willie Nelson career. Uh, Jesse, I think you even said it to us in our pre-show notes. You were shocked to find out that yesterday's wine comes from the RCA years and not from later on when he was in his outlaw and rebel country phase. I assumed for years. I owned this album. I could have looked and seen like what the label said. I'm sure I watched every... I assumed he recorded this in uh, in Austin. I uh, Early 70s bizarre concept album um he'd been like reading edgar casey and it's like oh this whole con- i i have to say my my greatest disappointment with america with america is like not living up to its potential as a culture is that nobody has started an entire religion based on this album yet <laughs> explain again to me lord why i'm here i don't know I don't know The setting for the stage is still not clear Where's the show? Where's the show? Let it begin Let it begin. I am born. Can you use me? That should have happened years ago. Everything that I know about U.S. history tells me that should have happened. Why? You don't want one of those weird, like, P funk things where there's this creepy church off to the side. Yeah, it, it, I, it, it's um, 
so he he wrote this album. He comes in. This is not one of the ones that um, Chet Atkins produced. This is um, Felton, Felton Jarvis, Jarvis. Yeah. and and he just you know sort of sat there and and let him do these things. And some of them are older songs like Family Bible. He does again December Day, um, which you mentioned earlier is one of the, I had forgotten that that was on. Yeah. Um, even though I was like singing the praises of good of uh, good times, good times because. Yeah. I associate with this album and also with one of his uh, jazz albums where he re, um, comes back to it. And of course, um, the two key songs in this, and it, the whole album is is great. Like I, I usually skip the, um, the spoken thing at the beginning. There's only so many times you can hear that, um, especially while you're trying to work, you know. But um, the title track, Yesterday's Wine, um, yeah, yeah. which later was a big hit, the duet by Merle Haggard and George Jones, who just knocked it out of the park, um, harmonizing on that. But you know, there's this you know spare a uh, Willie Nelson version, and the, and then uh, my favorite Willie Nelson road song, "Me and Paul," which is him. I mean, he's just singing about him and his drummer, um, and it's got this kind of like I'm turn down the lights. I'm going to tell you a story about the stuff we've been doing. I, I, the, well, the vocal you know, delivery name, on name vocal. checking actual artists, right? Yeah, like me I, yeah. on a sold out show, show in um, Buffalo. Where, what, Buffalo with me and Kitty Wells and Charlie Pride and and the bit about um, like don't leave nothing in your clothes like I don't I don't remember but I don't think we went on that night at all and he's just telling it and it's about me and Paul who is his drummer Paul English um, uh, but I mean I first time I heard that I didn't know who it was I just knew it was this guy that um, was clearly in his band or his entourage and who we felt really close to and he wrote this song about it and. I mean, I, I, this is one of my favorite Willie Nelson's, and it, it's the kind of song that I often hate, you know, when a, um, like, you know, there comes a point in many rock bands' career when they start just singing about um, being on the road. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. It, you know, and it's We very, talked I mean, about this on our old 97s episode. They they brilliantly managed to break that, that also, that sort of boring thing by writing um, longer than, longer yeah, than you've been alive, uh-huh. which is the most hilarious road song you'll ever hear. And of course, Willie Nelson's going to do a couple of these down the road as well. Yeah. I mean, it's very, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, the kinks are my favorite rock band and, and I, I, I love them to death, but how many times can they write that song? You know, but this is, um, this is the song that just shows how you can elevate it, you know, to, to something um, deep. And at the airport in Milwaukee, they refused to let us board the plane at all. They said we look suspicious, but I believe they like to pick on me and Paul. Well, it's been rough and rocky traveling, but I'm finally standing upright on the ground. After taking several readings, I'm surprised to find my mind still fairly sound. Guess Nashville was the roughest, but I know I've said the same about them all. We received our education in the cities of the nation, me and Paul. Even, you know, a couple generations from now when people are not going to know if Kitty Wells and Charlie Pride were real people or someone made up for for this verse. Um, you know, I, I think the song will still have that kind of uh, that, that affect to it of like just this is about going out on the road um, with this guy who I'm close to and all this stuff happening. I, I'm, I'm doing a very bad job of summarizing it. Um, so you, you jump in with what you were going to say. 
I was just going to say, like, they, they may not remember who, you know, Charlie Pride or Kitty Wells are, but they're going to remember the line about don't leave anything in your clothes. Yeah, yeah. And they're going to remember exactly – you don't have to explain what that means, man. Everybody understands that. And, of course, the funny thing is, you know, you look at what, – what is Willie L- Nelson still looking like on the cover of this album? Just like a normal country guy. He hasn't gotten the long hair and the crazy stuff going on yet or anything Soon like enough. that. What are you saying? Soon enough. Soon enough. Not quite yet. But yeah, yesterday's wine. Again, this is the beginning of a whole series of albums. His um, his later, much more famous conceptual albums would really all be patterned along this line. Okay, so if you want to know, like, if you like phases and stages, if you like redheaded stranger and stuff like that, you have to start with yesterday's wine. It does the whole thing. You got the spoken word intro. You got the yeah. musical thing, musical medleys and interludes and stuff like that, and. Uh, yeah, those two tracks, that one, two of Yesterday's Mind, the title track, and Me and Paul at the end, and even Going Home, which is just a beautiful, yes. simple song. There's a mixture of teardrops and flowers Crying and talking for hours About how wild I was And if I'd listened to them, I wouldn't be there Lord, thanks for the ride I got a feeling inside that I know you And if you see your way You're welcome to stay Cause I'm gonna need you This is, it's fair to say, I mean, would we all agree This is maybe the first like essential Willie Nelson album that it, it not singles and songs that you need to know and you know, go get a compilation that can give you the best bits. But I, I, I think you really need to hear this one as an entire record. It, it's, it's a breakthrough for that reason. You know, I, I, I said when we were trading messages, you know, earlier that, you know, that with Willie Nelson, you can't even boil it down to one breakthrough album. There are four albums that are, you know, like you're breaking through into another, you know, uh, phase of your career. And oddly, they all come like in a row, in the, uh, you know, from the early to the late 1970s. Um, but yeah, this is it's an essential album. It's the first, I, I would say, great album that he did. Um, and it's, uh, you know, I, I just want to say one more, one more thing about its context. Like the the early 70s, one sort of interesting thing that happens with the crossbreeding of country music and the counterculture is you start getting these wave of sort of weird, mystical country songs, like not gospel, although sometimes they're Christian, but songs like Michael Nesmith doing Harmony Constant, the Flatlands doing, uh, the Flatlanders doing Bhagavan Decreed, and this entire Willie Nelson album of Yesterday's Wine, where, you know, it's just somebody is um it's like they're dropping lsd and still going to church or or something like that um and it's just this amazing cultural moment that produces that so i kind of like um this album is uh, representing that um in addition to just liking it as as a great moment in the willie nelson career scott Yes, I agree that this is the first uh, album that you need to hear from Willie uh, outside of perhaps the very first one and, and that I wrote is 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 certainly, I think, near this level of, of really giving you an insight into the artist. Remember, he's 38 years old here, right? So he's 38 years old when Yesterday's Wine is released in 1971. And this... That's retirement uh, age for every rock group. Yeah, and this is this feels like he is more at home 
like he is more confident in himself uh, than at any point in the past almost decade, right? And there's big questions asked here about life and and, and about how to how to learn things. And it's I I had said um, we talked about Jayhawks in the last uh, exclusive content and Rainy Day Music. I think is like this great Saturday morning album. And mm-hmm. yesterday's wine is like the Sunday morning album almost. Yeah. Um, it just, it, it fits well. It was in fact, indeed my literal Sunday morning See? album. Last there you Sunday. go. There, there you go. Uh, December day, as, as Jesse mentioned, is brought back here from good times. He reclaims family Bible, makes it really, I think his own once again, the song he sold away in 59. If you check the liner notes, it's not written by Willie, Willie Nelson, but it is written by Willie Nelson. Those last four songs, I think we mentioned all of them. They're dynamite. Me and Paul and going home. Yesterday's Wine, the title track, it's such a welcoming song. Sit down, swap some stories. Your presence is welcome here. I like having you around. It's more of a, I don't want to say it's not inclusive, it's not the right word, but you feel like you belong while listening to Yesterday's Wine because you feel like it's a product of the artist and the artist alone. There's not the choirs, there's not the strings. It's Willie Nelson and people he likes playing songs and he hopes you like it and maybe you'll you'll come back for more a different time that's the sort of vibe that you get from yesterday's wine and i think it's one of the reasons why it's the real breakthrough you give the appearance of one widely traveled i'll bet you've seen things in your time so sit down beside me and tell me your story if you think you'll like yesterday's wine Yesterday's wine Well, yesterday's wine Aging with time Like yesterday's wine Yesterday's wine Well, yesterday's it, it was ahead of its time because, as you can imagine, it sold just as much as his other albums, which yes. is to say, not a lick. <laughs> and that's the weirdest thing about this era. You know, it, it, Scott already said, and it was a great frame to use. You know, it seems like on these this these records during this era, he always seems like is he about to break through? Right? Is that the moment? And then there's like a retrenchment. So. What do we make of these last two albums from the RCA era? The words don't fit the picture, and the, the uh, do we agree? It's like the, the certainly the dourest album cover all the Willie way, where he looks like he's actually older it's than terrible. he is. It looks now. like he's in prison. He looks like he's in prison. He's a. Well, the he's funny thing is that the... Willie Nelson was thirty eight when that photo was taken, but he actually looks older than he is now when he's eighty nine. It's, like, it's like one of the weirdest photos ever, and it gives you a sense of like. Maybe he felt disappointed after putting all of this effort into this really kind of visionary creative effort, bizarre and, and you know off off kilter, but uniquely Willie. And then it didn't, of course, sell. And RCA had no idea what to do with it. It didn't get promoted. So he, we have these last two albums before he finally makes the big change. And what do we think about these two? I, I think they're pretty bad, actually. Uh, the Willie Way is some leftovers, and there's there's some aborted thoughts that will make it into later albums, uh, especially phases and stages. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, what, is that, 
Go ahead. They've got good-hearted women, as in the words don't pick the, fit the picture. You know, I mean, there's yes, uh, Rainy yes, Day right. Blues is another one that he's done a few times. I mean, there are. I mean, with almost every Willie Nelson album, there's there's one or two that work. You know, even if the whole album doesn't quite uh, gel for you. She's a good-hearted woman in love with a good time and man. And she loves him in spite of his ways that she don't understand And through teardrops and laughter they'll pass through this world hand in hand This good-hearted woman in love with a good time in man But one one so, step beyond is another one that, that you know that will become a standard that I really enjoy as well. Right? Yeah. yeah the, right. Yep, it just seems, it that, seems like you guys mentioned like the only songs I wrote <laughs> I had any notes on from these albums: "Good Hearted Woman," and then I think "One Step Beyond" probably is the best thing on either either of these albums. So, do you want to set up what happens next, Scott? You know, explain how uh, Willie Nelson becomes a soul musician? Oh, no, okay, <laughs> not really. Why don't you set it up? Well. This is uh, a break in his record labels, right? I mean, this is one of the big things uh, because RCA, do they dissolve? They do, don't they? No, no, no. They, well, I think the story is that they wanted him to sort of renew in advance. That's what it Blindly was. renew yes. is his, his, his option. Yes. And the, the implication, at least the way that Nelson tells the story, is like it, they made it pretty much clear to him. It's like, unless you sign on the dotted line, we're not going to put out any more albums or singles. You know? Yes. But, but they had him under option for like an extra year or something like that. And so he declined. And he was also lucky enough to get like a really good shark of a manager during this era who like really just farmed him out to like anybody who was willing to listen give him a chance and basically actually and give credit to this guy i wish i could remember his name you know maybe jesse you remember i don't um but actually understood his crossover potential and and didn't just go to uh you know more trad country places but went to maybe the country offices of rock oriented labels and said and this guy's different Neil one, one other important thing that happens is shortly before this, Waylon Jennings um, yes. manages to negotiate creative control over his albums oh, yes. at yes. RCA. Waylon Jennings being, along with Willie Nelson, you know, the other superstar of, of at the Outlaw Country move, Movement as it um, emerges. It would Free- not did not exist yet, but would become right. And, but, and, and he and, because of this, and he and Willie Nelson had been friends and collaborators for a while, and and competitors too, a very competitive friendship. Um, and so that's also kind of the backdrop is you know his uh, friend has just managed to uh, negotiate this amazing deal, and Willie Nelson is um you know being offered this you know really crappy um gets this really crappy offer from the record company and so neil reshin is the name of the his manager will nelson's will nelson's manager and he's able to get him this deal with atlantic records in the country division in atlantic which wanted to take some more chances and as jesse alluded to can you imagine atlantic giving willie nelson who had sold essentially nothing for rca total artistic control of his releases but that's exactly what they did willie got to say exactly they also gave him neil young's producer which is hilarious jerry wexler yeah no david briggs oh that's right yeah <laughs> david briggs was there too which yeah. is you know it's neil young's basically right hand man for until he died so that that's how he gets over to to atlantic and um and he's back in austin texas and he's sort of 
he's sort of getting involved in the scene there, too. And as I think Jesse alluded to much earlier on in this episode, if he's absorbing all this stuff. He, he, you know, he loves music. I mean, it's clear he's 89 now and still doing what he does. But even back then, as you mentioned he was covering the Beatles. He would cover James Taylor. He'd cover uh, the Nielsen track. He just loved music. And so being able to absorb all these different types of music, the country, the folk, the jazz, what was happening in these scenes. And then as Jeff mentioned, it leads us to this album, which at least in, in large part, is like Willie Nelson's soul. It's so good. This, yeah, this is my favorite Willie Nelson album of all time. I, I will just it, solid pick. It is, um, it is the second of the four breakthrough albums that I mentioned. Um, it's, it, it's one of my favorite um, albums by any artist. But this is the. If I had to take just one to the Deader's Island. Um, um, and then assuming I have something to play it on, I, I would take this. <laughs> you you um, got to take a power source, a, a record player. There's a lot of things you got to take as well as the record. Yeah. And, and so he has been, um, you know, he's, this is not recorded in Austin. It's mostly recorded in New York City, I think. And then they do some in Ma- Memphis and even a little bit, even in Nashville. Um, well, there were some fights but, there, right, about which mixes were going to be used and things like that. Yeah, I, I don't remember if that was for this or for phases and stages, or if it was for both. Of oh, them. you know what? That's uh, I'm thinking of phases. And, you're right. It's phases and yeah, stages. Yeah, but, but I mean, he's been in Austin. Like I um, when uh, Larry Yurden, um, who um, ran um, a number of radio stations in Austin and in Houston in this period, um, once told me that uh, that the whole cosmic cowboy scene, as as they called it for a while, was, and I got the quote right in front of me. The Texas version in 1972 of what happened in San Francisco in 67. In a good old boy, Wild West context, it was the summer of love with guns. <laughs> yeah. And that is, you pick up this album. You've well, that's, got that this gun. Like it's been on Earth, man. <laughs> you've got a gun pointed at you right on the cover and two-barreled Willie Nelson with long hair and a beard and a cowboy hat <laughs> looking at you. And you put it on, and the very first track is, I mean, is a Southern Soul song, except the lyrics are about rednecks, you know? I mean, it's really, that's the only way to describe it, is that first verse is like, um, Shotgun Willie sits around in his underwear, underwear? biting on a bullet and pulling on all of his hair. Shotgun Shotgun Willie's got all of his family there. And then the Memphis horns come in, and he keeps going on. John T. Flores was working for the Ku Klux Klan, and six foot three or whatever it was john t was a hell of a man made a lot of money selling sheets on the family plan it's like what kind of jokes are you telling in this song willie and meanwhile it sounds like you know this this band could be backing up aretha franklin a shotgun willie sits around in his underwear biting on a bullet pulling out all of his hair shotgun willie's got all of his family there Plan. Six foot five, John T. was a hell of a man. 
Made a lot of money selling sheets on the family plan. By the way, there really was John T. Flores, and he ran a, uh, a, a venue in, in uh, Texas where um, Willie Nelson played, and he was at least rumored to be in the Klan. So um, I don't know if their lawyers reviewed that first before they, uh, before they went to press with it. Um, but yeah, and it's this whole album, it's like he's showing off every kind of music he can do. Um, but I mean, it's that first, al- that first track is R&B, but all through the out this, there is a groove to it. You know, I mean, we haven't even talked. There's like sort of two things happening here. There's this longstanding overlap between country music and soul music, which is like my favorite. Um, like a, a you could live in that space for yeah, forever. a decade. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that forever, I mean, it, that's that is like my my my. I, I love all kinds of music, but that's my favorite. The, the country. It's over, Ray Charles overlap. singing modern sounds in country and western music. Yeah, basically. and it and it, it's uh, you know people. And then in the seventies, it's starting country soul is starting to evolve into country funk. Exactly. And you can sort of hear that here. Um, right. And he does. Um, he's got people like Doug Som and Augie Myers, yeah. Waylon Jennings, and Jesse Coulter sitting in with this. He, um, you know, he covers the Leon Russell song. Uh, a song for you. He owns um, it. He doesn't just cover yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, he does. I mean, for I, I didn't know. That, I didn't know. I didn't know until the show that it wasn't his song. I, I for a long I time thought it. Was thought it. Well, you taught me precious secrets of a truth withholding nothing. You came out in front, but I was hiding. But now I. So much better, and if my words don't come together, listen to the melody, for my love is in the hiding. And I love you in a place where there is no space or time. I love you for my life, you are a friend of mine And when my life is over Remember when we were together And we were alone and I was singing my song for you I thought of it as a Willie Nelson song. Now, one of the other great versions of it is by a soul artist, Donny Hathaway, who also does string arrangements um, for the song right before that on the track. So much to do. They brought him in to do it. Um, so, I mean, it, this is one of those albums I discovered. I mean, of course, they got the people from his band, like Nicky Raphael, who plays harmonica, Bobby Nelson on piano, like uh, Paul English on drums. He's got the gang uh, together to do this. And they've got all these... Um, you know, these pros uh, from Austin and from New York, they Dave Bromber playing on it. Um, I, I, this is an album that I originally um, discovered, although I knew some of the tracks as a college radio DJ. But when I actually bought the CD myself in my 20s a couple of years later and I started looking at who played on all of these, um, it, it amazed me. It's like, yeah, everybody they, you want to hear. I mean, every, it's all, yeah. all the great. You know, and they're not all on the same tracks, but it's still, and they're playing like everything from that very modern stuff to, you know, covering old Western swing songs and, and, and so on. But it all sounds of a piece. And, and I got to say, you know, you can, one, 
easy track, I mean, one easy um, take on this album would be to say, well, he does all this kind of modern forward-looking stuff, but he also throws in some old-time stuff like uh, Bob Wills' Stay All Night, Stay a Little Longer. But then you remember, when Bob Wills was doing that, that was the crazy forward-looking stuff to mix um, country music with swing. That's the Western swing, you know, bubbles in my beer. Seeing the road that I've traveled A road filled with heartaches and tears And I'm seeing the past that I've wasted Watching the bubbles in my beer Visions of someone who loved me Brings alone solitaire to my eyes And I know that my life's been a failure Watching the bubbles in my beer And, I mean, I could talk about every song on this uh, on this album. Um, another funny road song, Devil in a Sleeping, sleeping Bag incredibly funky riff to that one and again the singing about what's on the road but it, making it funny and interesting you know if you want to buy a bus we're taking bids it's just um uh later covered by the presidents of the united states of america who updated the lyrics by the way <laughs> it's fun to listen to um and also just some of the um plain uh, spoken country song writing that we talked about earlier songs like she's not for you um which also this was on the same tribute album uh, Mark Lanigan from The Screaming Trees does an amazing cover of that one. Um, and uh, one of my favorite sad songs and waltzes, which is the oh, very you're meta. About to, you're about to steal my thunder, Jesse. Go yeah, well, you, you, you can, you can, can do that. Right. Take, take it, take it. Go for I it. I mean, he is, um, he's like, I'm writing this song about, I mean, basically the idea of the song is, I'm so heartbroken. I'm going to write this song about how you broke my heart. But, but those songs don't, don't worry sell that, anymore. But don't, but don't <laughs> worry. No one's going to hear it because that's not what's selling this year. So you're even going to be a disappointment to me in the marketplace. I'd like for the whole world to hear. I'd like to get even with you because you're leaving. A sad songs and waltzes aren't selling this year It's a good thing that I'm not a star You don't know how lucky you are Though my record may say no one will play Cause sad songs and waltzes aren't selling this year Sad and funny, and he gives it just the right reading uh, of it. Uh, so I cannot recommend this album highly enough. It is one, I mean, Jeff was talking about why we don't, I would say, 
leave me out of that week. Why so many people don't talk about, um, you know, the great country albums are great as great albums. This is one of the great albums of the 1970s and of I, all time. I, but, uh, I'm 100% agreed, and I also might make the argument that it's one of the great albums to make an argument for the existence of record executives. Okay, because, you know, who, who are the guys who are normally we, we refer to them as like meddling, bumbling, interfering morons who don't understand true art? Well, the guys at Atlantic, Arif Martin, Jerry Wexler, they actually did have an idea. It was like, hey, here are two great tastes, two great flavors that are going to taste even better together. And he said, give me Willie Nelson. Give me the Atlantic sound. And cool. <laughs> these two albums, the two albums he did for Atlantic, he moves to Columbia, which is sort of the beginning of the next phase of his career and actually the big commercial success of his career. But these two Atlantic albums are just shockingly, they stay with me. They've stayed with me in a way that is, the, again, the argument I started the show with where I said, like, why do we not consider Again, it's not just mine. It's also Scott's argument. Why do we not consider great country albums as just great music albums, you know, bar none? And I don't understand when I hear Shotgun Willie. I mean, everything start to finish is perfect. I'll also point out that that one of the the, the, the funny trademarks of Willie, again, his his hallmark as a, as a skill as an interpreter is some of the best music are the songs he didn't write. Mm-hmm. Okay, just like the most famous song on the Redheaded Stranger yeah, is going to yeah. be a song that isn't his; it's a cover. I mean, you could make an argument maybe that one of the best songs on this album is "Whiskey River." Mm-hmm. All right, and it's it becomes his signature song that he his opens every signature song, yeah. and it's the saddest and most wonderful and beautiful song. I mean, what's the Whiskey River? It says it all, doesn't it? You know, it's the river that flows by, but it's just the river of booze that you drink to just inure yourself to the pain of all the mistakes and freaking mess ups you've made in your life and yeah his signature song he didn't write it it doesn't matter it's Willie's I'm drowning in a whiskey river bathing my memory mind in the wetness of its soul feeling the amber current flowing from my And the album is Willie's, and I'm not sure, actually, I'd agree with you, Jesse, that it is his greatest album, but, I mean, it's obviously in the competition, and it it will make my top two at the end of this show, Um, but certainly it's in there, it's in the conversation. Scott? It changes from the cover, from his appearance. This is the long hair and beard. It took a year from uh, the cover <laughs> of uh, the last album, or the, the, the last one we talked about that we loved, to change his appearance, to become sort of the Willie that we love and, and know now. He's not clean-shaven. He's not uh, trying to be the face of RCA country. He's shotgun He's a little disreputable looking. That's he looks right. like he, he might have had a few too many to drink last night, there stumbled might have been out of the bar. Tr- and that's real life, right? He's got a divorce. There was a fire. He chased his uh, son-in-law with a, with a shotgun. House burned down, is, man. Yeah, which is where the title comes from. People nicknamed him Shotgun Willie after he chased his daughter, his abusive husband, with a shotgun. So all that plays in here, that that, that attitude um, and the fact, again, he's combining and able to dabble in all of this music that he's been seeped in for years. Um, That soul, the country, the jazz flourishes, the singer-songwriter, 
all three of us agree Sad Songs and Waltzes is one of his best songs from this era, certainly of this part one. Uh, that's the one that's just jumped out at me the first time. I listened to Shotgun Willie the whole way through. Doug Sam is back here playing with him. That's a huge deal. Uh, this is just, and Jeff echoed this point, but this is this album, the next album, it doesn't make any sense why this is never considered to be one of the sort of seminal American albums because all of that stuff is present here. Love his cover. The Bob Wills covers are both great. Uh, and Jeff's talking Whiskey River, not his song, but he owns it. It's one of his signature tunes. Stay All Night and Bubbles in My Beer are perfect here. Perfect versions by, by Willie. A song for you, not his song. He owns that song on this album. The and I love the fact that it is called A Song for You that he didn't write, that yeah. he claims as his own, and he gives it to you. But, you know, <laughs> that, that pace, that momentum, that, that song lurches forward only when Willie wants to sing, right? Only when he's ready to say the next line. There's nothing else pushing it forward. It's breathtaking in a way that you don't want to breathe so you don't miss those minor details that show up in a song that's as carefully crafted as a song for you on Shotgun Willie. There's not there's no there's no bad steps here. There's nothing out of that doesn't fit. It's just an outstanding album and one that people should really either, you know, revisit or I would imagine for most of our audience, really Fine for the first time. Fine for the time. first time. Sitting in the window, singing to my love. Slop bucket fell from the window above. A mule and a grasshopper eating ice cream. A mule got sick, so the lady on the beam. Stay all night, stay a little longer. Dance all night, dance a little longer. Pull off the coat, throw it in the corner. Don't see why you can't stay a little And, 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 and can I can I say also just oh, yeah, I mean hats off to the producers on this because you can. We were talking about um, you know Chet Atkins interfering, and, and I'm not talking about in terms of executives. I'm talking about in terms of making decisions in the recording booth. Well, you don't have Chet Atkins interfering. You don't have you know his his flunkies just sort of sitting back and letting things happen. Things like on Whiskey River, where you have basically two entirely different approaches to the song that they jump back and forth mm. between. You know, I mean. That requires a producer who knows exactly what they're doing and knows how to put this together. And by God, they 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 sell that. You know, that's, just, that's such a great point. He actually has a producer who's working as a second creative engine in sympathy with him, right? As opposed to maybe like foiling him or foiling his instincts. You you have a paired draft instead of just one horse trying to pull the train. And also knows how to get a hold of the Memphis horns. And, and well, say, right, I, if you're going to do this uh, rhythm and blues numbers, I know some guys who are really good at that. Let's bring them in for this. You know? Yeah, I mean, that's the advantages of having Atlantic as your label. I and mean, by the way, Jesse, the only reason I didn't agree with you that Shotgun Willie might be Willie Nelson's greatest album is because of this thing that just happens to come right after it. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a great one, too. I mean, listen, there are, as far as I'm concerned, there's an entire sub-genre of what I call divorce albums, right? There are three, to my mind, that are canonical, the greatest of all time. I'd put it, you know, and, and I'm not ranking them. I'm just saying, like, the first one would be uh, Richard and Linda Thompson's Shoot Out the Lights. Yeah. Uh, the second yeah. one would be... Blood on the Tracks, I assume. Oh, actually, you know what? You're right. There's four. Blood on the Tracks is... How 
could I have forgotten that? That wasn't one, that wasn't on my list. <laughs> uh, but I thought you were going to do "Shit Out the Lights and Blood on the Tracks." And this. I was going to. No, no, I'm wondering second, what's the other one. The other, "Hear My Dear" by Marvin Gaye. Oh, yeah. oh that's oh, it's yeah. one of his greatest albums, and it is literally his. Like he had to present it to the record label as a contractual obligation because of the divorce settlement. And then there's this. There's phases and stages which is conceptually different from those, which all immediately sprung from actual angst. Although Willie had been divorced, I believe, at this time twice. So we certainly had a lot of personal experience under the belt, and, and God only knows what kind of stuff that we don't even ever know about. But this is conceptually organized into a divorce as seen on the first side from the point of view of the woman, and then on the second side from the point of view of the man. And you might think that's weird and then there are little instrumental interludes and like there's like narrative bits kind of the only kind of unique willy willy way of doing a concept album where he does that I, you know johnny cash didn't quite approach this with his attempts um it's one of the most wonderful things i've ever heard and also heartbreaking and painful and spare and smart and in it's so cryptically intelligent in the way that it talks about the real feelings of relationships and the way they break down and the things that people do to work their lives around them. Phases and stages Circles and cycles and Scenes that we've all seen before Let me tell you some more Washing the dishes Scrubbing the floors Caring for someone Who don't care Anymore Learning to hate All the things That she once loved to do Never complaining Except of red stains On the collar You know, again This is an album that opens with Washing the dishes It's just like, what does the mom have to do The woman after the is breaking down Um I, you guys can talk about these albums or these songs. I, I just absolutely have to single out one of the. I consider it, you know, it might be a weird pick, but I think it's one of the best songs that Willie Nelson ever wrote, which is "Sisters Coming Home." Um, it's now you're it's, doing both halves of that, I assume. Well, yeah, down at the corner yeah. beer joint, right? Yeah. You know, where yeah. where she comes home and then she tries to get back out and mm -hmm. like you know get get herself back out on the road. Scott, actually, I was going to leave that part for him. In oh. fact, this is a little little two half because he pointed out the other. There are so many lines in the song that will break your heart, you know. But the one that I love the most that just seems so like sort of like you know naturally empathetic without overstating the case is where he talks about how you know like you know. I guess the, the song is written from the point of view, I would say, of the brother uh, who's saying, you know, sister's coming home uh, and mama's going to let her sleep all day today. Because mm -hmm. uh, imagine the exhaustion, the feeling of defeat and sadness that woman must feel coming home from a broken relationship, maybe an abusive, abusive relationship given shotgun Willie. You know, that might be the, the angle that he's running from. 
but she's coming home. She's back with her family. She's back with her kin, uh, and she's just gotta she's gotta rest. Because what else can you do? She needs to sleep all day. My sister's coming home. Mama's gonna let her sleep the whole day long. Well, the whole day long. My sister's coming home. Mama's gonna let her sleep the whole day long. My sister's coming home. Mama don't like the man that done her. And uh, he doesn't he doesn't over elaborate on the way that I did. He doesn't unpack it that way. He just says it and sings it. And that's one of the most heartbreakingly perfect lines in all of country music. And the second half of that song, thank you for the introduction, Jeff. Um, let me make this point, then I'll come back to the bigger part of the album. The second half of that song is uh, called Down at the Corner Beer Joint. And the same way that Jeff praises Willie Nelson for the economy, the minimalism in the front half of the song, so much is said in you know one and a half lines or so. The second half I love for that same reason in which, you know, she's come home, she's slept as long as she wants, and now she's up, and now she's around, and now she's getting out. And there's the the repeated line, uh, sister likes to move her soul down at the corner beer joint, dance out on a hardwood floor. Her jeans fit a little bit tighter than they did before. And they did before, yeah. And that, that, that's my favorite line on the album. That says that's, so yeah. much. That yeah. says, With, you know. By saying so little. Yes. But, you know, she's, she's out of shape, perhaps. You get comfortable when you've been married for a while. Or she's out of practice. She just ha- doesn't know how to dance. She hasn't done it in a while. And that one little phrase says so much to me in terms of, sort of grasping around and thinking you know the move, not just on the, on the dance floor, but sort of getting yourself out again after a relationship and really not knowing what the heck you're doing at all. Your jeans fit a little tighter. You're out of practice. You, 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 you don't remember those things you did previously and how to do them again, and it says that with just that one line. Down at the corner, beer joint, dancing to the rock and roll. My sister likes to do it, Lord. Sister likes to move her soul. Down at the corner, beer joint, dancing on a hardwood floor. Her jeans fit a little bit tighter than they did before. Than they did before. Than they did before. Oh, the jeans fit a little bit tighter than they did before. Than they did before. Than they did before. Oh, the jeans fit a little bit tighter than they did before. Echoing Jeff, I think Phases and Stages is the best record of this era. I think it is. Jeff said those, those, those four albums that I don't disagree with any of them. The breakup album that I always, uh, well, it was, my, it was the go-to breakup album, and I still could you know put it in that way, is Ryan Adams' Heartbreaker. Heartbreaker, yeah. And it's, it's that same sort of just, just, just completely ripped open, uh, raw, uh, feeling that is conveyed in these songs. Uh, Heartbreaker has that uh, that real rawness to it, and phases and stages is brutally 
frank about these emotions that the woman and man are going through. The woman has this sort of cycle, and at the end, you get the um, How Will I Know I'm Falling in Love Again, where she sort of exits. And the man doesn't have, I mean, at least they can, I, my interpretation, doesn't have that resolution. You know, he goes through, and he's not supposed to be this way. I still can't believe you're gone. At the end, he gets to the pick up a tempo, but it's not really a realization, or he hasn't accepted things. He's just, um, uh, time will take care of itself, and just leave time alone. That line from that song, where it's, it's going to be wild and mean, and good and bad, and quick and loud. He's not really learning or accepting uh, the end of the relationship. He's just moving on because that's what he has to do. Oh, Even, I don't know if he accepts it. That's the thing I was about to say. Yeah. Like you know, on the second half of this album, I mean, I don't want if, if I'm stealing your thunder, Jesse. I, I will stand down. But it's not supposed to be this way. Uh, okay, I could spend an hour on that song alone. <laughs> but uh, is, is that one that you were you were planning to talk about, Jesse? Before you know, I go, no, you you go for it. I, I will just uh, I will I will just drop in. <laughs> Bloody Mary Morning is, is the well, again, uh, this and, is the and, definitive and the re- Bloody Mary Morning recording is at the beginning of that second uh, half of the album. Fly our golden jet is airborne and fly 50 cuts a path across the morning sky. And a voice comes through the speaker reassuring us fly 50 is the way to fly. And a hostess takes our order coffee, tea or something stronger to start off the day. Bloody Mary morning cause I'm leaving baby somewhere in L.A. Well, it's a bloody Mary morning, baby left me without warning sometime in the night. So I'm flying down to Houston with forgetting her the nature of my flight. It's, again, the elusive spirit of Willie Nelson, which again, we've been talking over, around, all throughout the corners of for the last two and a half hours. Uh, it's so hard to get a grasp on. I think you, you don't ever hear it better than this song. It's written as a character and in a persona from a point of view, but it also feels universal. I, I cannot convey, you have to hear him sing it, and I, I guess it's, I assume you're about to. Um, when he he talks about it's not supposed to be that way you were supposed to know that i love you yeah but it don't matter anyway if i can't be there to console you and so like you know he's thinking about what she'll do you're gonna go out with the fireflies and play you know play this evening with the fireflies and then you're gonna rush to meet your lover and play with the real fire until the dawn He, he he dwells on those those moments of jealousy and regret uh, but what what keeps returning into focus for him is like uh, this wasn't supposed to happen. We were supposed to live happily ever after, and and I can't fix it now. That's the part, the fatality, the finality of it, is that this wasn't supposed to happen, but it did, and there's no going back. It's not supposed to be that way. supposed to know that I love you But it don't matter anyway If I can't be there to console you And when you go out to play this evening Play with fireflies till they're gone And then rush to meet your lover 
play with real fire until the dawn. But it's not supposed to be that way. As I said, this is music for mature people. Yeah. This it's, is not music for children. You, you can even see, um, I mean, from, from a 50,000-foot view, uh, the, try to diagnose the relationship because in, in this song, I think there's a line, you're, you're supposed to know that I love you. If you go way back to the first song of the album, Washing the Dishes, what's it about? It's the woman who says she's washing the dishes, scrubbing the floors, caring for someone who don't care anymore. She clearly doesn't know, right, that he loves her. So there's even like this intra-relationship uh, sort of psychology going on in between the woman's half and the man's half of the album. I want I want to set it to Jesse very quickly. Um, pretend it ever happened from from the first half, and that is one of the finest songs on the record. One of the best songs of this era, and it's again to echo Jeff's point. So simple. There's not a lot to it, but how 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 sad is that lyric? Pretend I never happened. Erase me from your mind. You will not want to remember any love as cold as mine. That is just a crushing lyric, and it's set to this um, just wonderful melody. There's little breakdown parts in between a few of those lines. That's uh, that's one of the best songs he's written. Pretend I never happened And erase me from your mind You will not want to remember Any love's cold This, this really does fit together as an album um, like nothing he did before, including Yesterday's Wine, um, and, and even including the Texas album, uh, because, of, because of that interplay between the lyrics that you might not, you know, if you listen to um, Washing the Dishes, um, or it's not supposed to be that way independently of each other, you don't know about that way that they they intersect. Um, at the same time, one reason that I, I have to rank Stuck on Willie higher is because I can enjoy it as an album and I can pick out those individual tracks, you know. So, but yeah, these, these are, I mean, this is a top three Willie album. It's amazing. Um, and I just will just say on behalf of Bloody Mary Morning, which is not one of those uh, songs where, you know, each song, each line is is uh, packed with meaning. It, it's, it's, I mean, it's it's all there in the title, really. And yes. he tells the story about, you know, it's a bloody merry morning. Uh, baby left me without warning sometime in the night, so I'm flying down to Houston, forgetting her's the nature of that flight. That that's all you really need to know right there. And in fact, if you asked me to quote it from memory, that's probably all I could do. But you know, like our hostess takes our order coffee tree or something stronger. You know, he's he's just telling that story in the willy way. The band is on fire. Uh, I mean, this is like when the songs have become, you know, a concert staple. Um, and, you know, it, and I, that's actually worth uh, mentioning too. I mean, this was recorded in Muscle Shoals, yeah. Um, yeah. which is, you know, even more than Memphis was the place for Southern soul. 
Um, you look at the people who play on it. You have country legends like uh, Johnny Gimbel, and you have R and B legends like George Soleil. Um, and it's just it, it's just a tight band behind them, um, being produced by the Jerry Wexler Atlantic team, um, and really, um, I mean, even I, again, as with Shotgun Will, you've got a great cover, great cover art for this too. I mean, you know, he he sort of downcast with his face in that shade of red um it's like an it's it's an action shot i assume it was somebody yeah. got him on stage right yeah, we, we, yeah. i mean this is obviously not away from you you can see like the neck of his guitar the tuning pegs are just like coming right at your face and you notice he's not looking at the audience he's looking at his hands he's looking at his fingers he's looking at his playing he's focusing on his song which is, I guess, a kind of a, a pretty good metaphor for he's focusing on the song. He's focusing on the melody and what he is saying with those words and with that, with those, with those strings, for that matter. J- Jesse alluded to this, but these Atlantic albums sound so good. They're produced yeah. so well. I love the way, just little things. I love the way the drums sound on this entire album. They are mic'd just where they should be. Little things like that really elevate this too. So after this, um, and we, we think, all right, we finally have massive the, triumph, big the, uh, win. The Willie Nelson career taking off. Um, and he's even got another um, album in the can that he's recorded of Atlantic of, of gospel music, a uh, religious music. And Atlantic closes its country music division. And it looks like we're about to have another huge Willie Nelson career setback. But instead, he changes uh, record labels. We have the third of those four uh, breakthrough albums, and we have a whole new phase of his career and mass popularity. But we're not going to get to that this time. Right, and not only a whole new phase of his career, but a whole new phase of country. But this is is the story that you're going to have to wait for, folks, for part two. Um, This is going to be the beginning of outlaw country, and we're going to see how this happens, and we're going to see how it happens after this. But... uh, this is a great place to close, and I think the reason I decided I wanted us to end part one on this is because uh, you might have expected us to talk about Redheaded Stranger. Redheaded Stranger is a great record. Again, begins the second phase of Willie's career. Well, fourth phase of Willie's career, honestly. <laughs> um, but phases and stages, Shotgun Willie, Yesterday's Wine, these are the key records of this career and this period, and I think I think we're all going to argue that they're just like hugely underrated, almost like perversely so. And again, these are great albums, but uh, maybe we won't agree because we're going to have to find out what our top five and top it's, two are here. I, I, I have to say this before we leave this, uh, this, yeah. this episode, and that is you mentioned how unheard these things are. It's, it's really weird and almost obscene. The country music industry, to the, to the, to the, to the effect that they... Uh, really revere their greats, right? Dolly Parton and Johnny Cash and Willie Nelson and uh, the, the Judds. They love their history. But, and maybe I'm just not in the right circles, but where do you hear their music unless you specifically go and seek it out? Your parents had it, they handed it down. You can't, you know, most country radio stations are playing uh, new country and, and the new releases. Florida Georgia line. Right. I mean, oh, th- there, no. are, there are some classic country stations, like classic rock stations, but they are almost exclusively or largely on the AM dial because they figure classic country sounds better on <laughs> the AM than the FM. It kind of does. They, they don't make it easy to get this stuff. They just, it's not like 
the who and the stones and the beatles and everywhere you turn these records are available this music is available and for an industry uh you know for for country music industry that really loves and reveres these old timers uh these people who paved the way in in the 60s and, and 70s they don't necessarily make it easy for people to hear this stuff and that's just very odd and i guess now that's where we can end this portion because as we come back uh, that situation will change a little bit uh our guest is jesse walker we come to the part of the episode where we give you the two albums you should own from this portion of willie nelson's career and the five songs you need to hear our guest goes first jesse the floor is yours for your albums and your songs oh man i didn't realize i had to pick five songs i'll have to do that oh, on the no. fly no. do that on the fly with willie nelson oh man that's re- i mean the two albums obviously are shotgun willie and phases and stages um and i i, hey, now, I, now I plunge into the abyss take five stabs okay oh man i, I feel like i should have like a, a, well let's see yeah i prep, um, prep for two weeks on this one so <laughs> I, you should have oh, oh man um well um let me um let you me know, open you up think the, about uh, it we, we do this in front of me no, we no, no, do no, no, this no. sometimes I, Jesse. I can I'm, I'm gonna do this on the fly but okay. I'm also going to um at guys least this, have... is, this is a tribute to Willie Nelson I mean the fact that like we just spent two and a half hours talking about all these great music and he this is only the first half of his career and, and yeah. Jesse's super fan fumbling it, it well, I mean, you're asking me to narrow it down to five. You know, it's you get possible. Me, I mean, you know? yeah, it, 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 that's the whole point. We give you an impossible task. All right. Okay, fine. I will say sad songs and waltzes um, uh, representing Shotgun Willie. And you know what? I will say Shotgun Willie, too. Um, are we are we doing um, like the, the five greatest? Or are we trying to get Brett Your own, here? Any reason. Any darn okay, reason. Okay. All right. And I will say crazy, of course. Um, and I will say pages as my underdog pick from... Um, the RCA career, and I will say me and Paul. Uh, my albums are Shotgun Willie and Phases and Stages for reasons made uh, blindingly obvious through the course of the conversation, I think. Song-wise, I tip my hat to Jesse for turning me on to I Never Cared For You, way back early single. Uh, that's one you really should hear. Most of the rest of these come, I think all the rest of these now come from uh, the 70s, which is not to say there's not good output uh, in the 60s, but Yesterday's Wine, the title track from Yesterday's Wine uh, is on this list. Uh, I got to take two from Shotgun Willie, Sad Songs and Waltzes, yes. I, I stay all night, too. It's just a ra- roaring good time. And uh, Pretend That Never Happened from Phases and Stages. It seems like I should pick more, but um, there's five. Jeff, over to you. I had ten. <laughs> so uh, my five are, are going to be pathetic because I had to cut out five that I loved. The first one is... I guess for me, it's always it was always my entry point to Willie, which is funny how time slips away. It's just yeah, I found it through Al Green, of course. And I, I uh, feel like we should do the five Willie covers. Just well, that you it. know, for the end of you know, end of part two, actually, we should actually do that. We we should think about it hard, make sure we have our lists. The five best Willie covers would be a great list to run down through. Um, but yeah, funny how time slips away. Even if it's you know his original or Al's version, oh, it's just one of the best and weirdest and saddest songs ever written the second one i'll, I'll mention is from the rca era and that's pins and needles in my heart off of both sides now this is the one that I, would be my pick you know just like uh page was was jesse's uh this one is mine and the folk rock excursions of willie nelson underrated man this thing this thing could have been on a bird's album and it would have been a highlight of a bird's album uh now it gets incredibly hard because we have to choose between yesterday's wine 
Shotgun Willie in phases and stages. I'm going to say if it's one song from yesterday's one, I'll say it's Me and Paul. Uh, me and Paul is is you know the one that Jesse was so eloquent about, uh, you know, talking about just you know two guys on the road in the band, you know, getting hassled by the cops, you know, just it's a universal story told so well and 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 so briskly. Um, when it comes to Shotgun, yeah, sad songs and waltzes, you know, yeah, sure, you guys got there first, but it's it's a brilliant, beautiful song. Those sad songs they don't sell that well anyway. So you know, I can I can write this, and yeah, as Jesse said, you're going to disappoint me in six different ways. I can't even make money off of your heartbreak. Uh, and then the last one I'll say comes from Phases and Stages. Oh God, I could have mentioned. It it actually pains me to not be able to say it's not supposed to be that way. Is my pick, uh, but it's Sisters Coming Home. And I guess, you know, actually it's a two-parter, down at the corner beer joint. The, the whole suite, that medley of that woman kind of, you know, recovering, getting back on her feet. It's kind of like the wobbly bird learning to stand up again, you know, and, and trying to figure out how to put their pieces of their life back together. But observed without any sort of – there's no there's no schmaltz. There's no sentimentality. There's no glurge in any of Willie's lyrics. There really never has been, and that is what makes him different, I think, from from so many other sort of cliched country writers. The, again, the joke being like, you know, your dog dies, your wife leaves you, you lose your house. Uh, that kind of self-pity is absent from Willie's songs. The heartbreak is always there, and the realization of what it meant, the things that – the effects that it have had on your life – that is always there, but there's never the bathos. This is a man who operates only in pathos at his best, true pathos. Uh, you know, as you will find out, not only from this episode, but from the next one that we do, Willie Nelson is literally one of the greatest American songwriters to have ever lived. And I can't even just tell you guys how much of a privilege it was to do this episode. This was fun, and I think we did it. I think we did it justice, and we'll see if we can do the same with part two coming up in a couple of weeks, so please come back for that. We thank our guest, Jesse Walker, who hopefully won't decide to uh, to not return for part two. That would be a As a, I always say, if, if ever a guest ducks out, we replace them with Jennifer Rubin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jesse Walker, you can find him writing at Reason.com and on Twitter, at NotJesseWalker. His books, Rebels on the Air and the United States of Paranoia. Jesse, thanks so much for sharing Willie Nelson with us here in this part one. Well, I'm I am always glad to talk at extended length about uh, my favorite musicians. So thanks for giving me a professional reason to do that. But I have to admit, I'm really curious to hear what Jennifer Rubin would have to say <laughs> about uh, Stardust. Well, and, it's the uh, opposite. And Stranger, so I might have to bow out just for that privilege. It's the opposite of her opinions from six years ago. Just oh, okay. it's just weird how that works. <laughs> um, Jeff. We got part one done. We head back and have to listen to some 80s country to get through the rest of Willie Nelson's career. But we start I'm off looking with forward to the yes. reggae, man. Yeah, well, we get we got to cover that, too. At, Je at uh, Esoteric CD is Jeff on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Scott Bertram. Remember, patreon.com slash political beat. Support us. Help the show stay ad-free. Entry level, mid-level, and upper level, best friend level. Check it all out. Patreon.com slash political beats. We've come to the part of the program where we say thank you to some of our Patreon supporters specifically and individually for their support. Thank you to our new Patreon supporters, Adam Goldberg and Jason Wade, and continued support from John Muller, Mike R., William Gaffey, Scott Klobacha, David Hawkinson, Dan McLaughlin, Dennis Hawkinson, Christy Ferry, Thomas Barnes, and Jared Patrick. 
Thank you all for your continued support and new support over at patreon.com slash political beats. Also subscribe to our feed for new episodes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, tune in or right there at nationalreview.com. You can find us on Facebook, follow the conversation, join us on Twitter at political underscore beats. This has been a presentation of National Review. This is Political Beats. Mm-hmm.